0: This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Blue Skeleton, North America's most extreme scare experience. Blue Skeleton will scare you to death.
1: I'm busy all over with the steeples, inchy goggles, and wow, and all. Come at the grand line, making a sense. The smell of death is on the red.
0: Hello, my name is Chris.
2: My name is Kelsey. And I'm Jesse.
0: And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's fake documentary week, I guess, on Pod Cemetery with 1992's Man Bites Dog and 2014's The Houses October Built. We have a guest on the show, as you've heard already. Jesse, you want to introduce yourself?
3: Sure. Long time fan of the podcast, friends of both Kelsey and Chris, big horror fan. She didn't used to be. Didn't used to be. Used to be terrified of horror movies. Now big fan, seen them all.
0: Okay. So that that leads us right into... Horror trivia. Yes. So Kelsey, give me what you got.
2: We're gonna ask, we're only asking Jesse these questions. Oh and oh, we geez. kind of have the feeling that Jesse won't know the <laughs> answers, but that's okay. It's all in good fun. So, Jesse. We've done both of these films on our on our podcast. First of all, have you ever seen the nineteen ninety-six film Jack Frost? A
3: long time ago.
2: Okay, guys, she's seen it. So, <laughs> in the 1996 movie, Jack Frost, the serial killer, mutates into a what? I want to say a man bear pig. <laughs> no, a killer snowman. Oh, oh, it's a trick
3: question.
0: <laughs> or it wasn't a trick question, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is going to be multiple choice. In the movie It Follows, have you seen It Follows? Yep. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. The first creature that Jay sees coming towards her.
2: Jay being the main character.
0: Is A, an old woman, B, a naked woman, C, a young boy, or D, a tall man.
3: Okay, yikes. I know the scene with the naked old woman in the kitchen, which was absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) So I guess I'll go with the naked woman.
0: Naked woman is right. Yes, very. This good. is in the abandoned parking structure. Yes. I think this is, is, in is in where a this happens. Lot. Yes. Yeah. All four of those she actually sees. That
2: uh, was a hard quest?
3: Yeah,
0: but that was good the first on one. You, Jess. Good on ya. Good on ya. But all I need right. to
3: get Jack Frost. No. Uh, <laughs>
0: and that's probably for the best. <laughs> Who wants to know a lot about Jack Frost?
2: I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from the rape, which is another thing we're going to talk about.
0: Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about it. That's a, what a wonderful segue yes. into Man bites,
4: dog. <laughs>
0: Man bites Dog. Based on a story by Remy Belvaux, written by Remy Belvaux, Andre Bonzel, and Benoit Polvord. I I have no idea how you actually pronounce that. Directed by those same three people. I'm not going to repeat their name again. And starring, oh, geez, here we go. I'm going to be forced to. Benoit Paul Vord, Remy Belvo, and uh, Valerie Perron, I guess is her name. What is Man Bites Dog about?
2: Yes, Jesse, can you give God. us a one sentence description of the synopsis of the film? Don't watch it piece of crap movie <laughs> no, what I is it about, it. It. I was about to what, say what
4: it it's about, about.
3: <laughs> that's what it was about <laughs> <laughs> it was about this jerk of a guy who was killing a bunch of people the film crew we, we don't even know we're going to get into this we don't uh-huh. even know how they met this guy we're <laughs> following him around and eventually get involved in his shenanigans
0: that's a very good synopsis I would say yes uh, if you have a Criterion subscription you can watch it for free otherwise it's $4 to rent and $15 to buy on iTunes and Prime Video.
2: Now, Chris, let me ask you, because uh-huh. you, you just said that it's on the Criterion Collection. Yes. Ordinarily, when you hear about Criterion Collection, what do you think of? I don't know. You don't, don't know. even know what Criterion is. Okay. She doesn't know what that is. What do you think, Chris, normally, when you think of Criterion.
0: I don't think you can do that. I think it's 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 fancy film nerd stuff.
2: Right, but normally you would expect it to be this profound piece of film. Were you surprised to hear that this was a Criterion Collection film? No. I was.
0: It won the International Critics Prize at the 92 Cannes Film Festival. And it that did, surprises it me. It did very well from a critical viewpoint. Not everyone liked it. Some people reacted the way you did, Jesse, but yeah, it I'm not too surprised.
3: Does it surprise you? I'm surprised it won anything.
2: There you go.
0: (laughs) So that leads us to the question, should people watch it? Jesse says no. Kelsey?
2: I say, I mean, I already kind of knew what it was about. I've heard about this movie for years. Uh, It's been on my fringe list for a very long time. I guess I would say I'm glad I saw it because I've just been hearing about it for so long. But unless it's important to you to see all the horror movies, I think you could probably skip this one. There are other, in my opinion, better movies about serial killers.
0: Okay. I can I can truck with that, but I disagree with the both of you. I think you guys should watch this. I actually enjoyed it. So we kind of run the gamut, this whole spectrum We really do. <laughs> on this movie. I can absolutely see the problems with this movie. I totally 100% do. And I totally understand why somebody might dislike it. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Did somebody recommend this movie?
2: Yes. This movie has been recommended to us by both Harry and Anthony.
0: So Harry and Anthony, you know what? I will say thank you very much. Uh, (laughs) You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1992's Man Bites Dog.
1: That is me, Rami. I'm a filmmaker, and I'm making a film about Ben a man of many talents. He was a connoisseur of fine foods, a first-rate poet, a philosopher, and a composer. But what fascinated me most about Ben was the intensity he brought to his work. Ben was a killer, an extremely clever and creative killer almost to the point of genius. He could hit a moving target, sight unseen, and strike at a moment's notice. He was a consummate professional. He was quite a guy. So when he asked us to join in the fun, we felt honored. I mean, he was the star of our movie. And who were we to say no? Afterwards, we all celebrate into the night, and what a party it was, for a short while at least, until things got way out of hand. Man Bites Dog.
0: All right, let's get started. Who wants to uh, talk about... How Man Bites Dog Begins.
2: Okay, so because I'm the hyper-sensitive one to keeping things linear, I'll be the navigator while Jesse and Chris duke it out pretty much. I'm pretty <laughs> much in the middle here.
0: I I took pretty comprehensive notes as far as, like, plot beats. So, I mean, I think I'm, I'll be pretty good to keep things in order this time around, which usually it's, it's a little bit more difficult for me than it is for Kelsey. Uh, but... For those of you that actually did watch the movie, we didn't even bring it up when we were talking about whether or not you should watch this movie. It's a Belgian film, so the entire film is in French with subtitles. But that didn't even factor into our opinion of whether or not you should actually watch it. It's entirely the content, really, of the movie that's that's driving this discussion <laughs> and how it's edited and put together. And yeah, so why don't you get us started, Kels?
2: Okay, so this movie opens... Immediately with a murder, Benoit, the, the serial killer that we're going to follow throughout the film, immediately strangles a woman on a train. Which I think just get-go, step one, second one we know what the tone of this film is going to be. I, it is
0: just murder murder murder. See, I I see where you're coming from there, but I disagree on that it sets the tone. Okay. I think that it's a it's a it's a misdirect on tone. When you sit down and watch this movie for the first time and the first thing you see, if you knew nothing about the movie, is a murder on a train where a woman gets strangled by a man, You might have a pretty strong misconception of the tone of the rest of this movie because there's going to be a lot of murder, but this movie is 100% a black comedy.
2: I don't know if I'd say 100% halfway. uh, I mean, I would say I I, am 100%
0: not that 100% of it is comedy. I'm saying that I am 100% in the camp that this is a comedy. A black comedy. It's not a happy comedy, but it is a comedy.
3: Who do you agree with, Jess? I think it is black comedy, for sure. Especially with that first scene when he's strangling a woman on a train with potential witnesses everywhere with blatant disregard Mm -hmm. for what's going on. Yes. You know, that just kicks it off. I mean, there were many murders where, I mean, I even wrote down at one point that he was disposing of a body as a train was driving by.
0: Right, yeah. Uh Uh-huh.
3: So... Thousands of witnesses? Uh-huh.
0: Zero consideration for, <laughs> like, the logistics of the world. I think before it became obvious that this was like a comedy, we were asking questions like, wait, how did this happen? How is he not afraid of witnesses? Is he not this, that, and the other thing? But then you find out as soon as he drops that body into the river off of the train tracks and it hits the ground... And it doesn't go underwater. It just slaps on like a a sandbar or something like that in the river. And it doesn't submerge. It's like, oh, this is supposed to be funny, you know.
2: And I will say it did make me laugh several times. It made me laugh out loud. It made me laugh heartily. Now, (laughs) I'm not going to say I didn't feel a little bit guilty a couple times when I laughed. But I think it's just the sheer decision to show absolute like you guys said, disregard for the rest of humanity and just, like, contrasting that with this guy who who seems like a normal everyday average dude, especially you meet his family and all that, and he seems like this normal guy. Contrasting the two is definitely where the humor comes in, even if part of me felt a little bit guilty of
0: laughing. Did you laugh at all, Jesse?
2: I saw the humor
3: in the moments <laughs> of the movie. But I wouldn't say warranted a full laugh.
0: Okay, that's fair. (laughs) All right, then we get the title card, and it is Man Bites Dog, It Happened in Your Neighborhood. And the reason why it's called It Happened in Your Neighborhood is because that is a direct translation of the French title, uh, C'est Arrivé Pré de Chez-vous. No idea if I pronounced that correctly, but that roughly, I should say, translates to It Happened in Your Neighborhood or Your Backyard or something like that.
2: And quickly, I want to mention, I'm sure you've seen documentaries about serial killers, right? Oh, many. Yes. And and Uh Chris and I have watched a lot of them. And the more and more that you learn about these types of people, you do learn that eventually, after they've done a few murders, they do become more brazen. Mm -hmm. And I honestly think that's a very scary thing because it just shows us how much we walk around with blinders on. And how yes. we don't see this crazy shit happening around us, and
3: that's one thing that severely pissed me off about this movie. And I did write it down: is every serial killer has a pattern, and this guy, oh
1: none, had yeah,
3: no pattern. <laughs> I tried to find the pattern; it wasn't there. And it made me angry.
0: He'd strangle people. That's the first thing we saw. Then we see he beat somebody to death. Then we get a montage of gun Guns, murders. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he has no distinct MO. And I think that's why he gets away with it for so long. is Because, because he couldn't
2: find the well, pattern.
0: They end up like just attributing it to other people. They have a whole conversation of the people that get blamed for his murders. There is a conversation about that later on in the film. Uh, but yeah, he doesn't have an MO. But it's also darkly humorous that he has so many people to kill that he can mix it up that much. Like, he kills dozens and dozens of people in this movie.
2: And something that I think is super fascinating, but at the same time makes me wonder if maybe they just didn't do research about serial killers and maybe they didn't know much about them. I think it's it's super fascinating that he doesn't seem to have any particular motivation to murder people. He just does. I mean, he does it for the thrill of it. Yeah,
0: he feels compelled I mean, to. Yeah. yeah.
2: But they don't show us that. I don't feel that they really show us I don't us that. feel
3: like they developed his character at all. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like there was any character development mm-hmm. whatsoever in I the saw, movie.
0: I saw him as one of those arrogant jerks, you know, and he's full of bluster. You know, he talks about boxing all the time. He thinks he knows a lot about boxing. And then there's a scene later on where he gets hit once on camera and it like breaks his neck. Like he's, he's, he's an arrogant guy who, who thinks he knows more than he does and who thinks he's more important than he is. And so it feels to me that this is how he exerts his influence on the world privately is he gets to just kill people with no remorse, no thought of the outside world. And that gives him power. And that's, that's at least what was created in my mind watching this movie.
2: Well, I'm but it's just not ex- say,
0: expressly commented on in the film.
2: That at one point he finally like they're talking about the fact that oh we killed these suburban people and we can't get any money out of them. And you guys might remember I was like, "Oh, he's a thief." Like, that was not made clear to me. I thought he was just killing people for fun, but apparently he was also taking their their valuables. It's how he maintains
0: they, his lifestyle. They
2: did show us that. And I mean, if you're going to murder somebody, why wouldn't you take their valuables, right? Mm-hmm. But they didn't really make it clear to me until that point where it was like, oh, that's how he's making his money. Right. So. Well, he when, Maybe when it's he, not so much that he's a serial killer, but just that he's just a crazy person no, I think who it's, needs to kill for money.
0: I think it's the other way around. I think, I mean, because we see him when he, I know we're, we're, here we are getting out of order already, but when he, when he kills the old woman in her apartment and then he tells him all the tricks of how to find all the money and how he's, he's gotten to the point where he just kind of feels where the money is now and he knows where it is in any particular location that he's in and how he knows that old people may be stingy, but... They're never poor. And, you know, I think it's more that that's how he maintains his lifestyle. He doesn't, he doesn't kill for the money. But if he kills and doesn't get any money out of it, it's a waste. And That's how he saw that suburban family when, you know, they didn't actually have any money. So
2: are you saying that you don't think he enjoys murder?
0: No, I, I'm saying I think he does. But it's like I could have killed anybody. I might as well have killed one of the old ladies in the apartment towers. That'll get me money. If I mean, if I'm going to kill somebody, I might as well do that. Uh, Yeah, sure, I love killing people, but this was a mess, and we didn't even get anything out of it.
2: Well, I think Jesse's right. I don't think they gave us enough character development.
0: That's fair. Uh, So, the first thing we get where we know it's a documentary is he is talking to somebody just off camera about the logistics of weighing a body down to well, throw them into the Well, Jesse asked
2: us. she was like, "Who is he talking to?"
0: <laughs> <laughs> we will meet these people shortly. Uh, and he talks about, you know, older people versus children versus your average person versus a little person and and uh, the ratio of weight to body weight uh, in order to make sure that they sink. And then as he's having this conversation, this is when he tosses the body off the bridge as the train goes by and it just splat lands on in the shallow water.
3: Well, I know one of my notes was apparently little people are more dense.
0: They have more dense bones. More dense porous bones.
3: Have, porous? Something about No, kids are ha- kids
0: have more porous bones. Their bones aren't <laughs> as dense. So, yeah.
2: <laughs> These are things to know apparently
0: Talks about their buoyancy But again I think he's talking out of his ass most of the time Some of it is practice And he kills enough people to know this kind of stuff But I think uh, like the reason why it is I think he's just talking out of his ass And that makes him feel important Like he's a he knows his stuff And that's why I'm saying I think This is how they develop his character By him trying to share himself With the camera And that's where all the character development Is for me
2: Okay We haven't mentioned the fact that the film is in black and white. Did you think that was a good choice or a bad choice?
3: You know, part of me sees what they're trying to do with it. But when they're describing vivid Color, there was one moment where he was describing red. Red this, red Mm -hmm. wine, red blood, red, red, red. And I was like, I didn't understand where it was going and it felt like it conflicted with the black and white because here I am looking for some vivid red blood red and I'm not getting that. It just felt like it kind of fell flat on its face
0: to me. Moments. To me, that was another comic moment. The fact that they're talking so much about color in a black and white film, that was just more comedy to me, but it's 1992. And Every independent movie was in black and white in 1992. That's just the style at the time. You know, they would wear an onion on their belt.
1: So I tied an onion to
0: my belt, which was the style at the time. Every movie was in black and white. If it was an indie film, it was like a quick way to be like, oh, I'm more important than I actually am. Uh, Plus, it's cheap film. Or at least it was at the time.
1: The important thing was that I had an onion on my belt. Which was the style at the time.
0: The movie cost like $33,000, I think, equivalent of $33,000 to make. So it was like super cheap. And these guys were just film students. And they were talking about, you know, how hard it was to get a movie made. And that kind of just led them down this path that they were just going to write, star in, direct, do all the stuff for their own movie, get it made on the cheap because they're making it like a documentary. Anyway.
2: So, yes, he he talks about he's extremely matter-of-fact. He's explaining how he's killed children, midgets, old people, anybody. It doesn't matter, Uh, which, again, I think proves Jesse's point. He doesn't have a pattern of any kind, which, as Chris said, might make it harder to detect who he is, but it makes him seem less believable as a character. Mm -hmm. As Jesse pointed out, he does a lot of his murders in broad daylight, but as we've said, serial killers, the more brazen they become— the more likely they are to do stupid things like that. And that's why we end up catching them. But he did that from the get-go. I mean, every murder
3: was on a train track, in a building, in the street, in front of someone. Like, it's just not realistic. A serial killer
2: wouldn't do that. Do you think this movie exists in a fantasy world? What do you mean? I mean, do you think that this movie... Has anchored itself in reality, or do you think that it's p- it's created a world where serial killers could get away with things like this?
3: <sighs> Good question. You know, I just, maybe it goes back to the black comedy thing, where, you know, mm-hmm. it's so brazen, it's so obvious that it's supposed to be funny. Yes, yes. that's what I think.
0: Yes,
2: 100%. I mean, that's just my opinion. hmm so perhaps we've taken a step away from reality and into the, the mind of a serial killer? Absolutely. Okay.
0: I, that's what I think, at least.
2: Then we get to meet his family.
0: Yes, this is his <laughs> real family. So this is the fun thing. In order to keep it cheap, this is... So his name actually is Benoit. They call him Ben. Uh, that's the actor's name, the the director, the writer. <laughs> it is his name. And we meet his real mother, his real grandmother, his real grandfather, uh, and eh, it's one way to cut down costs. You know, all the locations are theirs. All the people are family. And when they're interviewing them, this is a little behind the scenes on the movie. They had no idea what the movie was going to be about. They knew they were doing a documentary. And they were talking about their her son, his grandson, Ben. And so they were just having a conversation about the real person, Benoit and that's what made it into the movie. It wasn't until later on, I won't say exactly what happens, a scene that the mom is in that she found out what what exactly was going on and she, but up until that point she had no idea. They were just doing um they were just filming her talking about her son.
2: Now, have you heard of or seen Falling in Love with a Killer? No. Okay, so Falling in Love with a Killer or Falling for a Killer, something like that. It is a documentary about the girl who was in a long-term relationship with Ted Bundy.
0: Oh, Oh, yeah. That was so good. okay. Yeah.
2: So there's that. And then there's other documentaries I've watched as well that have really shown me that serial killers full-on have a completely different persona that they show to their loved ones versus what they show to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. So this whole thing, when you find out that it was, you know, they just were interviewing the family just to get an idea of who he was as a child, I feel like that could have really been done with real parents of serial killers because unless the kid came from an abusive background, which a lot of serial killers do... If they didn't, like Ted Bundy, who came from a perfectly happy nuclear family. Did he? As far as Did I know. Did he, Kelsey?
3: He didn't know his mom. He thought his his mom was his sister. You're right. I totally forgot all
2: about that. You're right. But.
0: Okay. But he was raised But he wasn't fine. abused. Yeah, no. Uh, like uh, yeah, a lot of them wrong, are. But...
2: but anyway, my point is, is that people know these people and they think they're regular, everyday,
0: average Jess. Yeah, for all we know, you're a serial killer, and we just invited be. you on the Please show. Be one. I
2: could
3: be. <laughs> <laughs> just you guys wait. Today it's young. <laughs>
0: If this episode never gets published. I will say this,
2: Jesse. If you straight up shoot someone in front of me, I will not give you your next birthday present.
3: Here's my thing: I'm not gonna not gonna decide a pattern. I'm gonna go around, I'm gonna shoot, strangle, and stab. Well, let's be honest. If you were going
2: to be a serial killer, wouldn't that be the best plan?
3: It
0: really would be. But you get less satisfaction from it, I would assume.
2: Yeah. Because I assume that serial killers all have OCD. That's what I assume.
0: Well, I mean, I think it's it's something similar to it, at least. You know, that's where they get their satisfaction is from doing it in a certain way. That's why things are very ritualistic. Uh, this guy doesn't have any of that. Like, at all.
3: He's like a Hannibal Lecter. No pattern. No pattern. Well, Hannibal always ate
2: his victims. At least that was there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So... We could talk about the family, but it's super unimportant. No, no, it's unimportant. We see him kill more and more people. We see him playing with kids and their fake gun. How random was that? Well,
0: again, it, it, it shows him out and about trying to be, like, show off as like, hey, I'm a great guy and everyone loves me, you know, and the kids don't really want anything to do with him. And he kind of injects himself into that interaction. But still, we also see him in what looks to be a mailman outfit. And for the longest time, we thought he was a mailman.
2: But, I said no the very first time. I was like, but, I think he stole that from the last and guy I he think killed. That's,
0: I think that's actually what happened. <laughs> because he talks about stealing pension money. And, you know, that's probably how he does it, is by taking it from mail from the mail. And then in this instance, he killed a mailman. But we also see him, it, I think it might have been the person that he killed prior, but this is important, so I want to make sure we don't skip it. We see him grab a guy and then beat him in an alley. But the alley is so dark that he tells them to turn the light on, or Remy says turn the light on because he can't, the camera can't see anything. And so Andre, the cameraman, turns the light on, and this is the first time they actually interact with a murder that we see. Mm-hmm. I think it's only the second murder that we see.
2: Well, no, we see lots. Well, we
0: get a montage of him shooting a bunch of people, I think. Yes. But but this is the first one that we see. Like So we got the first one on the train, then we get a little montage thing, and then after he's done talking to his family, we see this one. And he basically beats this guy to death. But they interact in a small way by providing light to the experience. Two things. Number one, it's them going a little bit too far and interacting with their subject matter, which as a documentarian, I think – not all pop. documentaries are this way, but especially if you look at, like, nature documentaries, you're supposed to stay objective and do not interact.
2: That's why you see animals die on documentaries, because they're, right. not, they're not supposed to interact with right. their subject matter.
0: Um, now, there are absolutely documentaries that are out there that are trying to convince you of something or make an argument, so they're going to not be objective. And that's totally fine. It's just a different type of, of documentary. But in this case, they're supposed to stay objective, and now they've started injecting themselves Into the experience, but also it shows us how they wanted to make sure they got it on camera, and so they turned the light on, and this starts to feed into the concept, the theme of violence in the media, and wanting to make sure they capture the most horrific and shocking things, and that relates to the title of Man Bites Dog, but we'll get to that at the end.
3: I think we skipped one important thing with when he was when he had the toy gun. He was sh- shooting at the kids. Notice every shot he took was a "quote unquote" kill shot at the children. That was something that oh, kind of that's spoke interesting. To me yeah, because I thought this guy just has no boundaries. He might he, actually kill
0: them he or something. Will
3: <laughs> kill? He will will kill a kid. I thought that it might even go back to him. With these kids with a
2: real gun later in the movie.
3: Oh, but Jesse, he
0: only kills four or five kids a year. Only. Yeah, that's it.
2: (laughs) Only. No, he said that he only killed three kids in the past five years. That's
3: what he said. Oh, okay.
2: (laughs) But I found that interesting. Every time he
3: loaded a cap, it was a kill shot at the kid with a fake gun. I just felt that this was one of those few character building moments we had With his character showing that he just had no line. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. No, I agree.
2: So, Jesse, then, would you say that if... Now, I know that we know what happens at the birthday party scene. But even I was like, who the fuck is that guy, right? But the two women who we know, do you think, Jesse, or the crew, the film crew, that he would have eventually ever killed either of those ladies or any of the film crew?
3: I actually had, I thought, and I wrote this down, I thought the film crew was going to kill him. Interesting. Why? Yes. I, I, when he was throwing up with the mussels he ate, mm-hmm. I thought the film crew poisoned him.
2: I remember you saying
3: that. And- that got
2: me thinking,
3: wouldn't it be interesting if the film crew was actually serial killers filming a serial killer going to kill a serial
0: killer? Or or that they got so involved with their subject, they started killing, and they started with him. Became
3: serial killers. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh.
3: Uh, I don't think he had a line, personally. I think he would have killed anyone, which is weird, because as Kelsey and I were talking about during the movie, serial killers never kill within their own inner circle. It goes against their pattern. This guy had no line whatsoever. So I thought it would have been an interesting twist if the film crew would have been plotting against him or would have gotten in on the killings. But we just
2: kind of never went that way.
0: Kelsey, on the other hand, was positive that he was going to kill the crew.
2: Well, let's talk about the film crew because they never tell us how they met him, Uh how this whole thing started. Which I think... Again, I think it has to do with what we were talking about earlier. This is kind of a fantasy world. Yeah. It's kind of lost its roots in reality. I get that. 100%. But I would have been interested in that meeting. <laughs> yeah. Well, did they, they didn't even have a dark web back then. So they couldn't have
3: even
0: <laughs> right. found a
3: website <laughs> where this guy's <laughs> advertising that he's killing.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, think, I think that that would have been – sometimes in a movie when you start to explore topics – If you cover the thing that people have the questions about, that becomes your new topic, and it just takes over your movie, and now the whole movie would be about them trying to get the documentary made with him. Like, that would have been so much more of the movie, and it would have taken them much longer to get to their point. I could see them even writing and filming stuff about how they met, and then cutting it out in the editing room floor in order to get to the actual point, the stuff they really wanted to talk about.
2: Well... I feel like there was a lot they probably could have cut out because at a certain point when we've seen enough murders uh, you're not you're not shocking us anymore which I know I know that's their point uh-huh. I get that's their point I get that they want to to keep showing us so much murder that we get to the point where we're just like it washes over us and we don't seem to care anymore but I think it would have been more impactful I don't know if I I would have done the movie very differently. I would have done the whole first little portion of just them meeting them starting to get to see him. And then they then they find out that he's murdering just constantly. Mm -hmm. And I think they could have just I think they could have taken a lot of those murders out and turned it into a shorter montage. Okay. And I think they still would have made their point.
0: Well, now you need to make that movie. I yes. think I think that'll that be the movie, movie that now. you make. Yes. All right, so let's uh let, let let's get a little bit deeper into the plot here, uh run over a couple of things. Uh we get a sense over the course of the movie that he is racist among other things he's not a good guy
2: he's racist sexist he's he's a bigot bigot. yeah
0: Mm -hmm. when they when he kills a black night watchman he says that that's not fair what a dirty trick that you might hire a black person to be a night watchman because they're so much harder to see in the dark like you're like oh jesus christ and then he won't touch him because he's worried about aids and it's like oh jesus this guy is awful
2: yet will pull down his pants To see
0: if the rumors are true. If the
2: rumors are true. And then when he sees it, I think it's that he's so jealous that he says it's disgusting. Cover it up.
0: Well, and then this is is when Remy helps him dispose of the body. Mm -hmm. It's the first time when he's like, okay, well, I can't touch him because I'm worried about AIDS. So you guys take him. We're going to bury him around here in the concrete. Which is another place he disposes of people. He disposes of them in rivers. He disposes of them in a quarry, which is a very important one that he keeps coming back to. And he disposes of them at construction sites. Because uh, he can bury them in the, in the concrete. But he makes a point about how the, the construction companies are so awful that they put more sand in, in the concrete than actual concrete. And it's all going to crumble away anyway. And then you'll find all the dead bodies. Not that he's a murderer, but the fact that they use shoddy materials in their construction projects, like that's the problem. Um, but I think that's kind of the point of this guy is he's he's an asshole and he's a jerk. And over time, you get desensitized to the violence. You get desensitized to this stuff until eventually the movie needs to take a hard turn, which we will get there in order to remind you, I think, of exactly what you've kind of gotten desensitized to.
2: And the way that it'll kind of make you forget at certain points what you're watching is they have long segments where it's just like an interview
0: with him. He talks about his troubles with love. He talks about how his nickname is The Octopus.
2: Yeah, they just, (laughs) he'll just talk to the camera (laughs) about random shit in his life. And it's frustrating because it's like, those parts are kind of boring because it's just like, he's just, he's just spouting random shit. And you don't like him, and he's a murderer. But then all of a sudden, he'll just be like, the scourge of society is violence. Yeah. And it's those little lines that you're like, oh, you're a hypocrite. You know, and you're learning things about him, which is funny because you're also like, this guy's so boring and stupid.
3: But what made me laugh, one of the few moments that made me laugh, is every time he went introspective, a sound guy died. We went through... Three sound guys Uh huh. in this movie.
0: Yep, like like spinal tap drummers. Yes, like oh my god, I was gonna <laughs> say I broke that down. Spinal
3: tap drummers.
0: <laughs> three sound guys.
3: <laughs> I was waiting for one to spontaneously combust. Just like every sound guy they got. Kiss of death.
1: Now during the flower people period, who was your drummer? Stumpy's replacement Peter James Bond he also died in mysterious circumstances it was tragic really he exploded on stage just like that he just went up he just was like a flash of green light and that was it nothing was left it was dozens of people spontaneously combust each year it's just not really widely reported right. Yeah.
0: so the next thing that he does is he talks about old people and he ends up breaking into a woman's apartment first conning her into letting him in because they're filming a documentary about loneliness and high-rises. And she's like, okay, I'll talk to you. And then he pulls a gun on her and just screams that he's going to kill her and she collapses onto the couch and we can see she's still alive but she's in pain. We don't know what's going on. And then that's when he reveals that, oh, I saw she had heart medication. And so I knew I could just scare her into, into dying and I'd save myself a bullet. I'm like, oh, okay, that's awful, but you know, you're thinking about the logistics. <laughs> it's economical. <laughs> Hence the comedy, I guess.
2: What I liked about this scene is afterwards, he's like, let's go get muscles. And yes. everybody's like, "Uh." It's
0: really awkward because Remy at first is like, I mean, I guess, okay. But Andre says, I have plans and I can't break them. And so the sound guy, when he's asked, he's like, well, without Andre, it'd be kind of pointless, right? Again, he's trying to reinforce the line that we are on this side of the camera and you are our subject. This is a documentary and we do not, you know, interact. He's still trying to maintain that. And so he says, oh, well, if Andre's not here, the camera guy, what would be the point of spending time with you? And that's... When Ben is like, "Oh no, I could, I get it. It's okay. No, that's totally fine. Totally understand. We can do it another time." And he starts to walk away. Hard cut to them at the restaurant eating mussels. It's like, okay, he guilted them into agreeing to go. Or Remy said, "No, we're doing this."
2: It's kind of like when you were in college and you had you, you had your. I feel like this is a very specific pot example. Okay. <laughs> your pot dealer always want to hang out with you, and you're just like, <laughs> I don't actually
0: want to be friends. <Yeah>.
2: I am totally this is I am using you in this situation, you know?
0: This is a financial transaction.
2: <laughs> That's what it felt like.
0: And it's obviously awkward, but there there they are at the restaurant eating mussels. This it's at this point when Benoit offers to fund the movie and we get more comments about how he's totally fine with money, money isn't a concern, but it is a concern for the production of this movie. And so Benoit agrees to finance the film and they're all happy. And he starts reciting this poem, and we see him dancing on the beach naked. And it's supposed to be funny, over-the-top ridiculous. There's
3: so much nudity in this movie. There's a <laughs> lot of nudity,
0: There's yeah. so much.
3: It's so uncomfortable.
0: Uh, uh, the I guess French. it's my
3: American <laughs> <scene> being here.
0: <laughs> well, you're married to a European person.
3: I am. I, and he, I, we discussed this during the movie. During the naked beach scene, is my husband's actually more uncomfortable with death and violence than nudity. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I remember it was a story you told about the bathing suit that he brought to oh America Lord. with him.
3: Okay. To put in perspective, <laughs> my, my husband is a very good looking man. Very he is. put together, <laughs> lean muscle. And he, the man works out every day. He, he does. <laughs> he does. And he brought out this little skimpy bikini, Speedo, bottom. bikini
0: bottom thing. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs>
3: And put it on to go to the beach one morning. And I looked at him, turned him (laughs) around, and said, never wear that ever again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So it's a completely different culture is exactly what it is. And so here we have Benoit running naked on the beach. And it's supposed to be over the top and kind of silly because he's giving the speech. And then all of a sudden he throws up. No one else here throws up. And I think that's why you were thinking they poisoned him. I Yeah. Because they all had the muscles. And they even make a point of the fact that it can't be the muscles because... He's the only one that got sick. But he also made fun of their waiter. The waiter tried to make a recommendation. He's like, get your face together before you.
3: (laughs) Mind you, this is after many racist, homophobic, Uh sexist comments. But this is where Kelsey drew her (laughs) person and said, this guy's an asshole. (laughs)
0: Because he made fun of the waiter's <laughs> Look, acne.
2: There's one thing to just kill people. Well, it's another to,
3: to just beat assholes to his face. To
0: his face. <laughs>
3: to his face. But that, that was where Kelsey drew the hard line and said, nope. Nope. This guy is not okay.
0: <laughs> so then we meet Valerie. Yes. So this is where
2: we see the artistic side of our serial killer.
0: He's at an art show where Valerie also is. She's a flautist. Yes. And uh, he talks about how she exposed him to all the artistic stuff in his life and made him a better person or whatever. And she's kind of his girlfriend? Kind of. She seems to know, it's revealed over the course of the movie, more than we would expect her to know.
2: Yes. At first I thought, because they do Maybe not everything,
0: but more.
2: They do ask her what do you think of Ben's lifestyle? And she says, pretty much, it's not my lifestyle. I don't judge people based on what they did. And my thought was. What is it
0: you think he does? And she says, is it some trade.
2: My thought was, oh, she thinks he's a thief. That's all she thinks. Yeah. And then you find out later, no, she knows.
0: Well, she, she knows really something. She might not know the full extent of it. Oh, but she, she knows. does. She knows something. Absolutely. Are we not thinking of the birthday party scene? No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking of Jenny when I think of the birthday party scene. I think more of Jenny. But anyway, have we, find, we met Jenny yet?
2: We find out yes, we have.
0: We already uh, have. Okay, do we want to talk about Jenny then?
2: Okay.
3: Who
0: is she? She's just some older woman that he's friends with who used to be a a beautiful woman. A, a, a nude model.
3: Has <laughs> naked pictures of herself around her apartment. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. And she has a, a tanning light over her bed so you can tan while you have sex.
3: Pretty great, yeah. as, as he lovingly put it, you get a brown ass while, uh-huh. while, while, you're, while you're having sex. Yeah, two two. How do you not two birds absolutely one stone, love this, Jesse? <laughs> two
2: birds, one stone.
0: So we get a car chase.
2: Yes, the carjacking scene where he's just he he gets into a taxi, puts the gun to the guy's head, makes him drive around, and shoots other cars.
0: Well, and then I think they he was headed for somebody. a specific car. Yes. And they follow this guy to what looks like an abandoned factory. They kill the taxi driver and then forget about him, by the way. They come back to him later and like, oh, shit, I forgot about the taxi driver. And they, so then they they go looking for this guy this in this a, abandoned factory. This
2: is a long segment. And it at really one point, is. Jesse turned to us and was like, why are they in here again? How did we get here? <laughs> yeah, it is kind of random.
3: I I was just so, there's so many scenes that we're in a house, then we're in a forest, then we're back in the house, then we're in a warehouse, then. <laughs> We're killing a cab driver. Then we forget about the cab driver. Then we're in a forest again. And yes. I had a very hard time following this movie. It's a I symptom of its questions. editing
0: style. Very, very much so that because we jump from location to location from time to time, that when they do spend a long time and then they go from one place to another, you you think, wait a minute, did I miss a cut somewhere in here that now we're in a completely different place? It's a little bit harder to follow because the movie trains you to be expecting these jumps in location and time but it's
3: not even cut well because there was one part where Kelsey was confused he was in the warehouse he oh yes on the bottom floor and then all of a sudden he was up on the top floor uh huh and Kelsey said how the hell did he get there so fast and Chris said well, there was a cut, and we actually had to go in and rewind it <laughs> and see if there was a cut, which we never determined There
0: was a there really was, was a cut. A cut. Chris like, claims there's a
2: cut.
3: No, I don't
0: think there so. absolutely was a cut when he's trying to focus, but there's there's two things could have happened. There were two alternatives to this scenario when they're they're in a shootout with this guy that they chased into the warehouse, and either it's all in real time and there's no cut, and then he had to get from the bottom to the top. In that amount of time, because we see him at the beginning of that shot, and we see him again at the end of that shot, and if there was no cut, he had to get from one location to the other, or there is a cut, and that's how they got, they got him there, so it's one or the other, either it's possible or there's a cut, so, but anyway... They do this really cool thing.
2: Or we're in fantasy land. Yes. Remember, that's always a possibility.
3: But I, with this I movie. think
0: you're thinking too hard about this one moment. I don't think that says anything about anything.
3: I just feel like it sums up everything I thought about this moment. <laughs> <laughs> it was confusing. It was frustrating. I mean, I had so many questions. So <sighs> the,
0: moment, the moment you were like, okay, what's going on here exactly? Why are we here? Is when he starts reciting poetry about a pigeon. In the warehouse, he sees a pigeon, and then this he just. This
3: is the second and this sound guy. guy. died.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this, this, no, no. This is the first sound guy. Oh, this is the first. Sound this sound is guy. the very first sound guy. He recites a poem about pigeons. They still haven't found the guy that they're chasing. Then they realize that he lost his ID bracelet, which he got at his communion.
2: oh no, he stole it from he somebody stole else. It. He stole it from a kid.
0: Did he? <laughs> yeah, he catch, yeah. explains this, that that was
2: really hard to steal.
0: Oh, okay. It's very rare.
2: Yes. Um, and it's valuable.
0: Yeah. So then they're looking for the communion bracelet and they're looking for the victim. And it's this really cool moment where the whole crew splits up, which is not something you're supposed to be doing when you're making a documentary. Because, and we get a perfect example of it, what you see on film and what you hear, because the sound guy is somewhere else, are two different things. And it's, it makes for this weird effect where we see Benoit talking, but we don't hear what he's saying. We hear somebody else talking and we hear the diegetic sound of somewhere else that we're not seeing. It's very confusing. I thought very effective to demonstrate that something's wrong with this crew and how heavily involved in things they are now, instead of stepping back and taking an objective look at their subject and being together and composed, making a documentary. It's kind of a cool effect, and I really like it, but it makes us start thinking about the sound guy. And so when the sound guy comes back and onto camera as he's walking back towards them, all of a sudden he gets shot dead because the guy they were chasing had a gun and then found them. And then this is when that shootout happens. And then we see that he gets up to the top, and as the guy's shooting from the upper floors, he knocks the guy out, and then Remy starts, like, kicking the shit out of him. And the serial killer has to be like, no, 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 no. This is how it starts. Like, don't.
2: This gets into revenge territory. Yes,
0: yeah. So don't don't do that.
2: Which is funny because at one point we saw him kill that guy in the alleyway and he was just kicking the shit out of that guy.
0: Right, but the reasoning. He was, dude was already dead and he kept kicking him because he killed their sound guy. And then we get Remy in front of the camera talking about, oh, he was a good guy. He had he had a girlfriend, Marie Paul, who had just moved in with him, and, and now she's pregnant with his baby, which is really funny. Because when the second sound guy dies, he says virtually the same thing, same name and everything. And you start to wonder, is that true, or is this a comedic reality where both sound guys had girlfriends named Marie Paul who were pregnant with their kid, and then, and they died?
2: Yeah, I think is it's that just, just a comedic, comedic
0: element. element. Yeah, uh-huh.
2: I would think. But again... A lot of this movie is probably in fantasy land, so. Yeah. I feel like a lot of it probably can't be taken too seriously. So this is when they go to get drinks and they start talking about, why don't you kill suburban
0: people? So he talks about, you know, reading in the newspaper and and what gets coverage and what doesn't. And he says, if you kill a whale, you get Greenpeace and Jacques Cousteau on your back, but wipe out sardines and you get a canning subsidy. And that's when the cameraman challenges him by suggesting that maybe he's afraid of major victims. And that gets Benoit kind of upset. And he rises to that challenge. And the next thing they go do is go attack a a suburban household. But this is when we get Remy on camera. And when he says it's an occupational hazard, we were aware of that. I think Patrick was, who was their first sound guy. So now we're in suburbia. What happens there, Kels?
2: They end up murdering a couple, and then they have to run after the kid who runs into the woods. Yeah. And this is kind of when it starts to take a more tragic turn. Would you agree? I agree. Because before they were... Co- yes, they were doing lots of murders, but it wasn't anyone that we knew or cared about. It wasn't as personal.
3: It was, right. Yeah, it was yeah.
0: passionless. It was just shoot somebody in the street or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. This is a little bit more confrontational. It's a little bit more intimate. He punches the wife and she goes down to the ground in shock and starts spasming he slams the husband's face into the mirror in the bathroom as he's shaving and then onto the sink you can tell the dude's arm is like right in front of his head protecting it as he <laughs> slams it into it and he tells the sound guy to put the microphone the second sound guy to put the microphone against this guy's neck and then he snaps his neck to get it on audio and it's this crunch in like really loud crunchy sound because the mic it is so possible? close
3: We had this debate in the middle of the movie. Is it physically possible?
0: Generally speaking, no. The answer is no. Because our arms do not have sufficient strength to twist a neck with its muscles there. Because our muscles are built specifically to prevent that from happening. Twisting is not how you break somebody's neck, usually.
2: So movies have been lying to us our entire lives. Yes, yes. I just learned something new today, guys. I I can't just murder you right now, Jess.
0: You I was going to murder
2: you, remember?
0: You could not murder Jess, but Algus could probably murder all of us. Yes,
2: Algus <laughs> probably could kill all of
3: us. <laughs> maybe, maybe I can get him doing his little bikini swimsuit.
0: <laughs> um, okay. So, but the kid shows up, and he screams and runs <laughs> away, and now a kid's involved, yeah. and it's messy. And this is when... Ben starts making demands of the crew, like turn the light on. Oh, your light blinded me. And that's how he got away. Chase after this kid because he just need me in the balls. Like you get this kid. He starts making demands of the crew.
2: Yes. And also this is also we were more of his hypocritical side after he murders this family. He's just like, there ought to be a law. Good families like this don't deserve this kind of stuff happening to them, or something like that. He says something that to that effect. It's I don't just remember. like you—you you did it. Which again, I think we're just in kind of fantasy land at this point.
0: Yeah, they have another conversation about how they—they they need the money in order to keep the production going, and so Benoit says, "Yeah, okay, let's get the money." And they end up going to like a safe house. It's like an abandoned apartment complex or something like that. <laughs>
1: And guy this attacks. is when the
0: second sh- sound guy is shot. And we don't know who. And there's a shootout. They're shooting like through the ceiling and then down through the floor. We don't see exactly what's going on until they, they finally do. This is when Remy gives that same speech intercut with this gunfight. They finally do catch the guy and kill him. And he reveals to us that it's the Nightingale, who's another serial killer. And they then we find out that he...
2: Also has a... Documentary crew. Oh yeah, can yeah, yeah. <laughs> write that down. <laughs> Are we
3: like inceptioning <laughs> documentary? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So he has another documentary crew, and Benoit is like, "Oh, look at the size of this camera. It's great." And he asks Andre, the cameraman, like, "Do you want this camera?" Because they have this crew at gunpoint, and uh, Andre's like, "No, no, no. That's because it's video." Uh, and he's like, "Well, what do we have?" And he's like, "Film." And Ben's he like, oh, okay, he just it. drops it on the ground. And then he, like, hands the gun over to the crew, who then kill... Well, he shoots the cameraman, and then he has, like, Remy kill the director. And then, like, now they're actually killing people. It's a little bit closer to them, because they're a competing film crew. So that pushes them over the line, obviously a little comedic. And they kill this film crew. And don't clean up the film crew. Well,
3: I guess another sound guy died, huh? yeah. <laughs> yeah four yeah, sound
0: guys Well, in this movie. no no, this is the second sound guy that died. Well, but saying Oh, the you're other. talking about and the, their, and the, the other yes. Film. That's a good. <laughs> that's, that's a very good. Nobody point. likes
2: sound guys. Yeah.
3: <laughs> this movie hates sound
0: guys. <laughs> now, Get away see- from these sound guys.
3: He hates
2: these cams. Did you find it funny that they had a, that he had a film crew as well? I did. I did write that part down.
3: I said, "What the hell is happening?" I think my literal note is. I'll, I'll read it verbatim. What the hell is happening? Is there another film crew?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is. So they go out to have drinks. This is when with we- their
2: grandpa, who's not supposed to drink.
0: No, this is a different one that I'm thinking of. So you might want to.
2: The next thing I have is all about them taking the grandpa out. And how he sold panties to a guy and said oh, that it belonged okay, yeah. to Bridget Bardot.
0: Yes, he convinced a guy that it belonged to... I wonder how real that is. If if the conversations with family are real, I wonder how real that one is.
2: We also then see home video footage of naked ladies dancing, which was also...
3: It I, was
0: his grandmother's footage. <laughs>
3: I was so confused how that had any relevance to this movie. Was. He thought it was it so did. charming,
0: and yeah,
2: he thought it was charming.
0: He was sharing the fan, the real life, and that's kind of that feeds back into the fact that they're making a documentary because it's just more context for his life and the life of his extended family. Um, yeah, it's just a bunch of a bunch of topless ladies dancing in a circle in, in the grass. You know, however many years ago, in the twenties or whatever. <laughs> But they, they do go out drinking, and they get really, really smashed. And they have a new sound guy at this point.
3: Sound guy number three. Sound
0: guy number three. And this is when we learn about the dead baby boy. Oh, the drink. Yes. So there's a drink called the dead baby boy. So this is a real reference to a thing. They call it the petite Gregory. So it's called Little Gregory. But it's translated to, to dead baby boy so we could understand at least a little of it. But as far as the French are concerned, this is a real case of a four-year-old boy, this is going to be rough, who was discovered in a river with his hands and legs tied up, dead. So it's an actual reference to a boy who was tied up and drowned. That's why they call it a Petit Gregory. That's (laughs) fucked. But we wouldn't know that because we don't know the context of the story. So, wait,
2: are you telling me that in France they actually have a drink called that?
0: I don't know if in France they have a drink called that, but that's... Right, you so, say, but I mean,
2: I wouldn't be surprised that this serial killer... Might have, that. might have
0: called... Oh, yeah, totally. But the point is, is it's a reference to a case that was heavily covered by the media. And constantly talked about on the news, this horrific case of a murdered four-year-old boy that was media fodder. Mm -hmm. And so it leads back into the commentary that this movie is making.
2: That people don't have a problem with seeing and hearing about violence.
0: Yeah, in the media, yeah. It's so much so that there's a cocktail named after it. So they are completely trashed. It's fitting that we learn about this little baby boy.
2: You didn't mention the weird part with the woman and the kid that we're wondering if he's his kid.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't talk about it because it kind of went nowhere. There's this random thing where he's like the benefactor of this lady who cleans at the gym where he boxes. And she has a kid that's there with him. And he like wants affection from this kid. And he wants the girl to say... You know, how great he is or whatever. But yeah, he's like her benefactor. He got her this job and I guess he but gives she her she clearly money. doesn't like him. Yeah, no. So I, I, I think it's supposed to make us uncomfortable. But not much happens with that. We never go back to that.
2: Right. But I wanted to bring it up. Yeah. Because I feel like the movie, well, something that Jesse and I were talking about earlier, the movie doesn't do a lot for character development. And then it'll put in these random little pieces – and my question is Do you think the filmmakers input that stuff to make it feel more realistic because it's random? Because mm-hmm. if you were making a documentary, random things do happen when you're making them. Or is it a way to give us character insight? It's just not done well.
0: Hmm. I don't think it's, it's that it's not done well. I think, it, I think, I mean, the more I think about it, the more I think it's done well. Why? What is that, what's going on in that scene?
2: He's getting ready to box.
0: He's getting his hands taped up to get ready to box. And he's talking to the camera. And this is that character development that you say is lacking. Here it is. He talks himself up and how great he is. But we see that the people he's talking about helping are actually really uncomfortable. And unhappy. And, and unhappy, but he's too focused on looking at the camera and smiling and making himself look good that he's incapable of even seeing any of that.
2: Right, he's totally egocentric, but I think we got that without that scene.
0: Sure, but this is even more of it. I mean, you, you wanted character development. Here it is.
2: But what I'm saying is, from my perspective, it doesn't work.
0: This is the first person we meet that knows him and looks this uncomfortable around him. There are a lot of people that know him and love him.
2: Well, he makes the bar, the lady at the bar uncomfortable.
0: No, she just gets tired of him being drunk and ends up kicking him out after this scene. I'm saying before this, we've met Valerie, who loves him. Jenny, who loves him. His family, who loves him. Everyone loves him. This is the first person that doesn't love him. Well, aside from the documentarians who he, didn't want to hang
2: out with him originally. And
0: he doesn't even notice it. He's too focused on the fact that there's a camera on pointed at him. And that's, again, a commentary on media and what it does to people, but it's also a, a character-building thing for him.
2: So do you agree with me or Chris, Jess?
0: Feel no pressure. Yeah. Put me
2: on the
3: spot. <laughs> uh, I, I agree with Kelsey. I just feel like it just – I just feel like the, the character development they tried to put in the movie just – it it lacked it was just a lack thereof. There just wasn't a whole lot. The yeah. stuff they did put in really didn't build the character any more in the direction I want it to. I just felt like it was random tidbits.
0: I wonder what these filmmakers would do if they could make this film today. Because, again, these are just – it was made by a couple film students. Mm-hmm. The cameraman, the director, and the killer are the three people who wrote – directed, edited, and shot this movie and acted in it. And they're just a bunch of film students. Mm -hmm. So I wonder you know, almost 30 years later how they would do this differently or if it was made in such a time in history and at a very specific point in their lives that they wouldn't want to. I wonder. Oh, Remy died in
3: 2006. Yeah. Oh man.
0: That was a bummer. (laughs)
2: Thanks, Chris. <laughs> wah,
0: wah. <laughs> well, we got to bring us back down because we're getting to the really yeah. fucked up part. So they get kicked out because they're really drunk, and they—it's Christmas time, Just and he's brought up. Yeah, was, you want to talk about perpetu- Christmas?
3: It was perpetually Christmas. <laughs> like every second of this movie was Christmas.
0: But what's the weirder part about this scene? This is the fact that he's dressed up like a priest and it is not explained.
3: Oh, yeah. I I wrote that down. I said, is he a priest or mailman?
0: Or did he kill a priest? And just take his outfit? If we were supposed to gather that he killed a mailman and took his outfit, now that he's dressed like a priest, are we supposed to just assume that he killed So anyway, they're carousing around in the middle of the street drunk and they just break into this apartment building and they interrupt a couple having sex. And this just becomes a brutal gang rape scene where they all take turns starting with Remy and then Andre and the third sound guy and then finally Benoit to remove him completely from the equation and put more responsibility on this crew as doing this kind of of their own volition. And yes, they're absolutely wasted, but... Like, that's not what this scene is about. There are no excuses for these people and the horrible things that they do. And meanwhile, they have the the man with a gun to his head not being able to do anything about it. Cut to the morning, and we see this woman completely eviscerated, still on the table. And her guts are all out over, uh, over her body. And her husband, or whoever he is, shot in the head in the sink. And we just see... Four of them, well, I guess the three of them, so not the cameraman, lying on the ground without any pants on, kind of just starting to wake up. And it's this sort of dispassionate shot where we just see her completely eviscerated that was immediately preceded by this drunken gang rape scene that completely changes the dynamic of the entire movie. And it makes a hard right turn, I think, because... You know, it's supposed to be a comedy up to this point. They try to make you forget the fact or become desensitized to the murders that are going on in this movie. And then this moment happens and it's like, hey, remember, like, this is the kind of stuff we're talking about here. And this is how far this camera crew is getting corrupted. And this camera crew being representative of not only the media – but us, the audience, mm-hmm. and how desensitized we're getting to this stuff that we might start indulging in behavior that may not be extreme as this, but stuff we wouldn't do if we weren't so desensitized to this sort of behavior by our own media. Thoughts? Because this is a pretty important turning point in the movie.
3: This is where I really started to hate the movie.
0: Understandable.
3: Um, I felt it went just a little too far. Uh-huh. Um, I, you know, a lot of horror movies as Chris and Kelsey had brought to my attention, they get frustrated when movies bring in angry and violent sex acts. And this just, for me, was one of the most vivid scenes that I have seen. I've seen a lot of horror movies. I've seen a lot of violent sex scenes. But this was really, I don't know if intimate is the right word for it.
0: Stark, maybe. Stark
3: is a yeah. good word. Um, Up I, close and personal. Was, like
0: like there's there's nothing romanticized about it yeah, whatsoever. Yeah.
3: I mean, usually, you know, you see someone that's about to rape someone, you pull them into another room, and it's just assumed that that's what's happening. This was like full nude shots, full thrusting shots of just gang rape. It, it was hard to watch.
0: Yeah. And it was hard for them to film, apparently. You know, they had to do nude scenes and depicting themselves raping a woman to the point where apparently I think this is according to Andre. I want to say the cameraman who was one of the writers, directors, editors that the woman in the scene was like, she was really excited about the movie and what they were doing. And so she was totally down to, to film the scene. And she was the one that was making them feel better about, you know, being on screen naked and doing the scene because obviously she was the most, I guess, violated is that is the is the term by what was going on here and made them feel a little bit more comfortable because this was something that they weren't even com- comfortable doing, knowing they were trying to make a point. Um, and not trying to endorse everything and not trying to titillate. I think that's important here. This isn't used for for titillation. It isn't used to, for like, oh, can you believe the fucked up thing that we put on screen? I don't see that as the point of the scene, which very often is what it the point actually is. To is to stop the
2: laughter. Yes,
0: that's exactly what it is. The point is to be like, no, this is fucked up. And you're opinion, supposed to be, you're supposed to recognize that this is fucked up. Why were you laughing at that other stuff?
2: But my opinion is don't insult your
0: audience. This is different than like a Michael Haneke flick that
2: I think this is made me
0: angry audience. in that it was insulting the audience. Cause I didn't, I didn't feel at any time, although I did enjoy the comedy in this movie, I didn't feel at any time that I was actually the subject of indictment. And that the movie was being smug about it.
2: Until this happened. No, I
0: don't think this is the movie being smug about it. I think the movie is like, hey, watch what we do. It's not, you know, like, ha, you laughed. I bet you feel bad now. It's more like, no, I just want to expose to you. It's it's almost like it is the filmmakers are us. And not someone who's pointing the finger at us like it is with Michael Haneke and Funny Games. So I, that's why I wasn't so mad about this. And it's very close to the sorts of things that happen in funny games. Anyway.
2: Any ideas? I This
3: scene just made me very angry. Un- I was 100% very, understandable. Very, yeah. very hard to
0: watch. So there will absolutely be a content warning on this episode. So if you haven't been paying attention to this sort of stuff, please check out those content warnings. There's a reason why we do them. But yes, this is when the movie sort of turns. You should know that when it was released in on video in the U.S., it was rated NC-17 by the Motion Picture Association of America, the movie was. Probably more because of all the nudity than the violence.
3: I think there was more nudity than violence in this movie.
0: Yes. But, I mean, there's a lot of headshots.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of shots.
0: Like, but anyway like like I, I guess it's
3: me being American Because you know like Seeing someone blown to pieces Doesn't bother me anymore But seeing someone raped Will keep me up at night
0: But you know how they
2: But that's kind of what the <clears throat> movie's trying to say Why is it that one form of
0: violence Upsets you and one doesn't Ah
2: uh, Introspection <laughs>
0: So there are, you know, we have to worry about our retail organizations, especially in the 90s, being willing to sell our product. That's why uh, record companies will release albums that are edited, that are, you know, scrubbed of offensive content. And then they'll make the ones that that have the warning sticker on them and are sold online and stuff like that. But a lot of video stores would not carry NC-17 content unless it was straight up porn, which they put in the back, you know, room with the... The saloon doors. <laughs> so they needed to make an R-rated version of this film. They cut out the scene where they kill the kid. They kept the rape scene.
3: Interesting choice. <laughs> but,
0: but cut out the nudity. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to be fair, cut out the gore in the next shot.
3: I don't think the gore in the next shot is what bothered me. It was... The screaming mm-hmm. and the thrusting.
0: But in and- order to get it down to a rated R, they did they did trim that scene, but the scene is still in there. Huh. It's interesting. It's anyway. kind of like
2: when men tell you that the scariest thing they've ever seen is deliverance, and then you ask them, What about all the movies where women are raped? And they're just kind of like,
0: huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. I think the one part of the problem is with watching this movie is we took the, the wrong time to pause. So we paused a couple times throughout the movie. We did we did some rewinding, um, but we we were having a conversation at this point about stuff that was going on in our lives. And for probably about 20 minutes or so, we were just talking and stuff. And then we pressed play and no joke... Where we press play is the moment they broke into this house and then this scene happens. So we were completely out of the flow of this movie at this point.
3: After a break, we needed to take another break. Yes. (laughs) Immediately. Yes, Yes. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Anyway, Valerie, his sort of girlfriend, shows him that she was delivered a rat impaled on a stick and... This is what kind of makes us think that, okay, she knows a little bit about what he does, at least, because she knows to show to him. And he knows that, oh, it's the Nightingale's brother. You know, ah, but they're just Italians. They're nothing to worry about. Remember, he's a racist. Then we find out later on, because we see a shot of him sparring in a boxing ring and, like, immediately getting knocked the fuck out by his sparring partner. (laughs) (laughs) And so the boxing coach that we met before that used to be a boxer that we met before in the bar tells that sparring partner to "Ah, go practice with somebody else. And then we get, oh, he's taken to the hospital. There's this whole scene in the hospital with his grandfather and his mother. And the mother reveals, oh, Vandal's been fucking with people's mailboxes a lot lately. I even found an impaled rat in our mailbox. And so we know that. There's a threat going on to the people he cares about. And it's this Nightingale's brother, the one that was killed, that had the other film crew following him. (laughs) He comes home to a surprise birthday party. This is the birthday party scene that Kelsey's been talking
2: about. The coach is there, which (laughs) I didn't realize who he was. Yes. And then the coach is there and he's just kind of being annoying the whole time.
0: He is visibly hitting on Valerie. And that makes Ben uncomfortable. So when the crew... Give him his gift, his birthday present, and it's a gun holster, like a side holster. (laughs) Yeah. Over the shoulder kind. And they want want him to put it on and see how it is. And so he asks for his gun. Valerie goes and gets him his gun. He puts it in and he's demonstrating how easy it is to pull out of his side holster. And he pulls it out and he shoots the coach right in the head in front of everybody. And it
2: splatters blood on both Jenny
3: and, and Valerie. Valerie. Yes. <laughs> his initial comment is, Can I have more bubbly?
2: <laughs> yes, it
3: is. And
0: then he sits down to start eating again his cake and the food, and everyone's just like frozen. Valerie looks almost pissed. Jenny is like in a state of shock until. You know he's still eating, and the only thing that breaks this silence while he's just eating is that Jenny gets up (gasps) and she brings them this oversized wrapped present. We find out it's a stuffed seagull inside, (laughs) and she calls him Sir, and he's like, "What is this, Sir? You don't need to call me Sir." And it's very obvious that
2: you've frightened your friend, you've
0: terrified her, but nobody screams and runs away or anything. They're just so that tells us that they knew,
2: right? Would you
3: assume they knew?
0: And this is the first time it got close, maybe?
3: Maybe, because maybe. usually, like I said before, killers don't kill within their circle.
0: Yeah, uh-huh. No? no, I think you're right. I think this is very unusual for them. And while they knew he was a murderer, it's, it's never been this close before. And now they're maybe a little bit scared of him, or at the very least, Jenny is. So she's trying to stay on his good side. I got you a present. Ah, yeah. So the crew helps him dispose of the body. And they go to the quarry again, where they find out that the quarry has all dried up.
2: There's all these body parts and skulls and bones. A mountain of death. Yes.
0: Just sticking out of this mud. And this is how involved they are. The crew is now covering up these bodies as Benoit goes to the highest point he can to see if he can see any other bodies. And when he can, he yells at them for it. Because now... They're basically like partners in crime at this point, yes. not just objective observers.
2: Well, at this point, they're probably, I mean, they're probably pretty scared at this point that he's going to kill them. Which was my question from the get-go.
0: Yeah, you always thought that he Why was going to kill Why wouldn't you
2: assume he's going to kill you?
0: Because we're in this fantasy comedy world. Yes, that's true. I think that's what it is. is—is that Nobody's thinking about that, you know. Just like he can get away with things. But we know that doesn't last for too long. So we see him attack somebody. The camera crew is just standing in the alley as a, as a mailman walks by. It's like, oh, am I on the telly or whatever it is he says. And then Benoit comes out from the shadows and grabs him. And then they fall over and the dude gets away. Mm-hmm. And we realize what we're actually seeing is – them in the editing bay and he's like reversing the footage and playing it over again so he can figure out what went wrong and they comment on oh you shouldn't have pulled him this way this is how he got the upper hand also he has the neck brace on so he's well they get so he hot. gets
2: mad at them for this not is helping yes
0: you guys fucked it up
2: you should have helped me
0: at, at which point he calls them colleagues so they're getting more and more every single time it's it's deeper and deeper into this for them next thing we know He's been convicted, and we don't know what for. It's not important. Just like it's not important how they got together, we just need to know that he was sent away to prison. He visits his mom. This is that scene I was talking about where his actual mom comes to visit and had no idea that there was some sort of crime element at all until she shows up and he's behind bars. So they had to actually get her to do some acting at this point and not just talk about her son. (laughs) Next thing we know, he's escaped. How? How? Not important. He doesn't want to talk about it, and it would take up too much time in the movie, and that's not what the movie's about. But, Kelsey, you had a problem with that?
2: Well, yeah. You're just going to bring that in and be like, oh, he got taken in, now he's escaped. Uh, Then why even bother doing it?
0: Well, because he needs to be detained for this next stuff to happen. I guess. So he meets up with Remy. Valerie's supposed to be there, but Remy's like, oh, no, she was supposed to meet us here, but she's not there. So he's like, okay, take me to her house. And they go to her house, and she's not responding. And they find her dead on her bed, naked, with her flute sticking out of her ass. And Benoit is absolutely devastated.
3: First time we see devastation in him throughout the entire movie.
0: Yes. Yeah. He goes to clean the flute. And the guy's like, I don't think water's good for brass or whatever for a flute. And he screams at him and he, well, you think shit's good for scales? I think is what he actually says. Yeah. So he's, he's really upset and then he kind of apologizes. So then he goes to check on his family and he goes inside and we, the camera, I specifically wrote this down before I knew what was going on. I thought maybe he was going to take out the Nightingale's brother or something like that. I didn't realize that they were at his, his parents' shop, his mom's shop. The camera stays in the car and Benoit goes in alone and we just kind of hear him. And he comes out with a broom in his hand and says something to the effect of, you know, they, they ask him if everything is, o- is okay. And he's like, well, she wasn't a musician, so they used a broom. And so we figured the same thing happened to his his mother. And he gets upset at the crew again. And then he apologizes. But it's obvious that things are going south. <laughs> <laughs> and so – Yes. So he needs to get out of there. They need to stop making this movie. They need to never see each other again. So they go to the hideout to retrieve the money so he can give them the rest of their money to finish the film. And then he can get the money to go off and disappear. At which point he sees a pigeon again and he starts slowly <laughs> reciting. reciting the pigeon poem again. <laughs> and then as he, we're kind of close up on his face, he gets shot in between the eyes from a distance and he's dead. And then we see Remy get shot. And then the camera goes down. We assume that the cameraman is shot. And then we see the sound guy almost running away. Almost he made gets it. to <laughs> the door and then he collapses fourth dead, dead sound guy in this movie. <laughs> almost. <laughs> he almost got out, but so he didn't close. quite make it. And the movie sits on this shot for a while with nobody to edit it at this point, And it's just silence for the rest of the credits. It stays on the shot for a while. It fades to the end of the film roll, and then silence over the credits. So any other things, lightning round stuff, stuff that we didn't Final talk thoughts. about that you want to talk about?
3: <sighs> Don't see this movie guys. <laughs> Don't do it. It is an
2: hour and a half. you will never get back. Kelsey. I thought it was an interesting idea. I think that there, I think that it was, it was very obvious that these people were film students. They, they had not reached.
0: Well, I don't think they needed to. What there were the things they didn't know the what to do.
2: That's true. But there were things they didn't know how to do and mm-hmm. all that. And I'll give it this. It was unique at yeah. the very least. So.
0: I think it's funny that it's almost like an indictment of that vice style of documentary where people show up and they do the drugs with the people that they're filming. And it's like, this is kind of an indictment of that style of documentary filmmaking. You know? These young guys who think they, they're they invincible and can get away with anything. There's a really good... I want to say it's an episode of Documentary Now. I think there's a really good episode on it. For that, Helen Mirren narrates... Or she introduces all the documentaries to Documentary <laughs> Now. But Fred Armisen, Bill Hader, Seth Meyers, like they made this the series called documentary now and there's one that's that's like this if i remember correctly it's pretty funny but they're mocking this sort of vice documentary style let's talk about man bites dog do you know what the what that term means
2: it means that men have gone crazy
0: so the term was coined in the late 1800s or early 1900s it was coined by the first viscount of northcliffe alfred harmsworth who was a newspaper magnate in England. But he wasn't the first one to say it. He's just the one that coined the phrase. There are several other people that are c- credited with it. New York Sun editor John Bogart, Charles Anderson D- Dana. But the whole term is, when a dog bites a man, that is not news, because it happens so often. But if a man bites a dog, that is news. The point is, it's supposed to show how Things that don't happen very often are more remarkable and therefore get reported on more versus things that happen all the time. So they're unremarkable and they get reported on less. And it leaves the audience with this sort of broken sense of how much of the bad stuff happens and how much of the average everyday stuff happens and what that ratio is actually like. Because so much of the reporting is done on the -the over-the-top outrageous, scandalous stuff – And not much talking is is happening about the everyday stuff. There's another term that goes, you never read about a plane that did not crash. And that's the same, you know, sort of consensus. So that's how you know absolutely that what we're talking about is media and sensationalism. And that's what the movie is actually referring to. Any other comments on Man Bites Dog?
2: I think we've covered it.
0: Okay. What do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? Being... The percentage of people that saw this movie and liked it, of critical reviewers. 20%. Guess? 70. 72% is the actual what? answer. 72% of critics that reviewed this movie gave it an overall positive review. Not to say that they didn't have problems with it, but it's Metacritic average. So the actual average rating is 54. Overrated or underrated? <laughs>
3: an audience of like
2: two people
0: I think it's like 19 or something like that
2: <laughs> um I think 72 might be a little bit high just a little bit for me. I
3: think it's very high yes you do
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give this movie a 65
0: 65
2: huh uh, like I said it gets a lot of points for me because it is unique it was trying some new things story-wise, there's not a lot going on, a lot of violence, but of course, that's the point. So, I mean, like, I'm not mad that I saw it. I'm glad that I saw it because I've heard about it for so long. It wasn't anywhere near as insane as everyone made it sound like it was going to be. But I don't think it was terrible. And I think that from just a film perspective, I think they were trying to do something new. So I'm going to give it a 65.
3: I'll give it a 25.
0: Ah, <laughs> Yes!
3: Um... I thought it was very hard to follow
0: due to its erratic editing and yeah, all of that. Yeah, uh,
3: yeah, it was very hard to follow. It didn't keep my interest very much. I felt like there there were moments of comedy and I respect that, but it really it just I wouldn't watch it again. I mean, I'm glad I saw it once. It was it was different. I will give it that, but yeah, I that's all I have to say about it. <laughs>
0: Well, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie, which isn't to say that I had a great time watching the rape scene or anything <laughs> like that. I, I just, I mean, my thought process is is more that uh, I laughed a lot at funny stuff. I thought a lot about stuff that was supposed to be provocative. I would give this movie a 78.
2: Wow. Mm-hmm. That was a lot higher than I thought you were going to give it.
0: 13 points off from you. It's not the biggest difference we've ever had.
2: I just I look at everything from a teacher's perspective. So like seventy-eight for me that's a C plus versus Which isn't that high, which is a D as a teacher. (laughs) But anyway.
0: (laughs) As somebody who got all A's all the time. Uh Seventy-eight is not that high. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right, well, let's take a sharp turn in the tone of this episode and get back into horror trivia. Kelsey go.
2: Where does Ashley Williams work in the movie Army of Darkness?
0: Have you? Do you know anything? I've not Marvel? seen that movie. Okay, we just covered that one recently. I, I'm going so to say
2: a video rental store. No, he he works at S-Mart. It's like a Walmart. Okay, or a
0: Kmart, I think is probably a closer <laughs> analog to it.
2: Or well, Sears <laughs> sells like guns. guns. And yeah, stuff. well, so did
0: Sears. Anyway, uh, I might need to pick a different question here. So, but maybe we'll we'll pivot and ask Kelsey. Have you ever heard of the movie Don't Breathe?
3: Is that the one with the the soldier and he kidnaps the girl in the basement? Yes. Okay.
0: Don't Breathe was inspired by what horror classic? I'm not going to give you options because I want Kelsey to guess. I have no idea. Kelsey, can you guess? And if she can't guess, I'll give you options.
2: Is it based on... We watched it with Audrey Hepburn.
0: Wait Until Dark? Yes. Yes, it is. That is the right answer. You pulled that out. Good job. So Wait Until Dark, for those of you that, that don't know, Wait Until Dark is a movie where Audrey Hepburn plays a blind woman, and she is the victim of a con by these con men who are trying to get something from her apartment, and eventually it turns into an outright attack on her. This spins that around to where the people that are trying to steal from the blind person are actually the main hunted. characters, in the, and they're hunted by the blind person. So that's why it's inspired with a twist. What a twist. What a twist. We actually liked Don't Breathe.
2: Yeah, we did. We yeah. really, really, really liked it. Yeah. Wait well, uh, Until Dark is really good, too. Yeah.
0: But uh, Don't Breathe was Fede Alvarez. He had just done the remake of Evil Dead, since we were just talking about Army of Darkness. Just did the remake of Evil Dead and then did this afterwards, Don't Breathe. So I like Fede Alvarez. I wish he would do more stuff. And uh, What's-Her-Face, who was the main character. I can't think of her name. You know who I'm talking about. Yes, you all know who I'm talking about. <laughs> we liked her a lot, actually. All right, moving on to our next film, 2014's "The House's October Built," a script by Zach Andrews, Bobby Rowe, and Jason Zada, based on a story by Zach Andrews, Jeff Larson, and Bobby Rowe. Directed by Bobby Rowe.
2: So it's funny because we just watched a movie that was. A fake documentary Uh with people using their real-life names, and that's exactly what they did with Houses that October. Uh
0: And the people that wrote it, directed, and acted in it are all the same ones.
2: God, I'm good at my job.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Starring Brandi Schaefer, Zach Andrews, Bobby Rowe, Mikey Rowe, they're actually brothers, Mm -hmm. and Jeff Larson. Um, A lot of names that we saw in the written and directed by Fields. Yes. What is the Houses October built about?
3: I saw this movie thinking it was going to be terrible. And I will say, the more I watch it, the less high of an opinion I have of it. <laughs> uh, first time I saw it, I thought it was amazing. Because well, to be
0: clear, you recommended this I for I recommended us? this. Yes.
3: And when I rewatched it, I thought to myself, why? <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, when Chief, okay, okay, I'm just going to say this. Now that you're saying that, you first told me how this was Octoberville, and I was like... Oh,
0: because <laughs> Kelsey had seen it I'd already. I already seen it. So Kelsey had seen this movie. Well, first, okay, what is it about? Let's let's get yes, through that. Yes, tell okay.
3: us. It's about a film crew that's looking for the most intense haunted house in the world.
0: And the, to be clear, we're talking.
3: They said the world. <laughs> they said the world. I did write that down.
0: To be clear, to be clear we're talking about scare experience. Sort of like, you know, mazes at Knott's Berry Farm, but like, you know, the places that pop up around Halloween that are. We don't think they're actually
2: haunted. They're done on purpose by living human beings.
3: Yeah. You know,
0: you pay money and you walk through a house, you know, that sort of thing.
3: Right. So this crew goes around filming their experiences in these different houses and they get taken into a deep, dark dive into a real horror experience that was brought onto them through okay. their
0: curiosity. So, Kelsey had already seen it and I think it was you that found out that it was based on another documentary called the same thing they there had been a documentary that was made and then they decided to make it into a movie. And it is impossible to find the original documentary anywhere except for one particular location. It's nowhere. And if you talk about it online, if you search for it online, people mention how this is based on just a small documentary that the same filmmakers made. And nobody seems to have it anywhere. You can't download it anywhere. You can't find it illegally, like nothing, unless you buy the special edition DVD or the one that's on iTunes. Which we did. (laughs) That's how we were like, okay, well, if we're going to do that, we should probably watch the original documentary first and then see this sort of like fake documentary dramatized version that has a thrilling end or whatever after that. So we watched the original. Folks, don't do that. It is literally the same thing. Do not do it. It is literally the same thing. It
2: is Well, not literally, Just with but a lower like budget. 98% the exact yeah. same there movie. There is a
0: lot of content from the original that is in this one. They're both fake. I got through a lot of the first one having no idea that it was fake. I thought they, they did a fairly good job. You know, at a certain point in the movie, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm fairly confident that this is all fake. But it had me second guessing that through the whole thing until it's, it became like... Incredibly obvious. and then it ends in such a way where you're like, okay well this is this is obviously fake. but I couldn't decide if I was impressed or upset by that by the fact that I went through this emotional <laughs> roller coaster with this movie. And then we watch this one and it is literally like the same thing. You get exactly the same thing effectively, except they do a little bit more to seed where the movie ends up going throughout the runtime whereas in the original it kind of just happens at the end. Yes. This one kind of builds up to the end, so it does that a little bit better. The movie is available to rent for $4 on most services. You can buy it for as little as $8. I think we bought it for $10 or maybe even 15 at the time. Now it's $8. Guess what else? Now it's free on Hulu. So that's of cool. It is. we bought it (laughs) so you kind of already got into it a little bit Jesse. should people watch this movie
3: you know the first time I saw it I thought it was just great but then the second the third the fourth time I saw it I feel like it just takes a sharp decline (laughs) I watch it
0: I I would 100% agree I wrote down at the end when the when the when the movie ended. I wrote down. I don't know what to think about this movie. To be honest, this and the original got my heart rate up and my anxiety going. Like it, I do not respond to horror movies. Like I don't get scared at horror movies at all, ever. But this is the sort of movie that got me really anxious, not scared, but my heart rate was pumping and. I didn't know what was going to happen, and I started feeling anxiety. And I guess that's a testament to the movie, but it absolutely would not work the same way watching it a second time around.
3: No, definitely not. As I was sitting and taking my notes watching this movie, I thought to myself, I know what's going to happen. So I just am not, I, I, it was more me asking questions about plot gaps.
0: Yes. And there are some, <laughs> even though they got a second chance to make this movie. <laughs> Somehow they put out there in the world, like, remember when Blair Witch came out and they're like, it was real, you know? They really found this stuff. And then for a long time, people thought it was real until finally it was released and the actors started doing interviews and stuff like that. And they're like, OK, well, yeah, no, we'll admit that it's fake. And now that story does not work anymore. But because I was introduced to this in a sort of non-marketing way. And nobody online could say otherwise. I was—I had no idea going into the, the movie that it wasn't the, – the first movie, because everyone talks about it like it's an actual documentary, that it wasn't real. And so it had a different effect on me that way. Kels, what do you think?
2: I think it's a really good idea. I just think – because when I first heard about it, I got, I was really excited because I knew that they were going to go into actual – Haunted houses, which I was really excited about. I was like, if I was going to make a documentary, that's what I would want to make a documentary about. It's a really cool, interesting subject. Because I've been to a lot of haunted houses. Like, a lot of them. And I've heard about the really scary ones. The ones where they do blackout rooms, and the ones where they blindfold you, and they handcuff you, and they tie you up. You know, I've heard about those experiences, and I thought that they were going to go to experiences like that. And they do talk about them mm-hmm. in the film. They talk about, oh, in New York, they've got the ones that are all black and all that yeah. stuff.
0: But you think that's what's g- going to happen. That's what makes the end of the movie kind but of But they thrilling. end
2: up just going to a bunch of ones that, like, I've been to. Like, right. I was expecting them to go to the hardcore ones, and they don't, well, and that's frustrating. But
0: that's that's what it's building up to. So when finally the end of the movie happens, you think... That's what they're getting to, but you're not quite sure. So, I mean, yeah, the movie doesn't ever actually take us to one of those experiences because instead it makes this veer into what the reality of the world is. But, I mean, you think it's going to go there. You think that's where the movie's headed. Like a movie about pregnancy, let's say a documentary about pregnancy, you're going to be like, I thought we were going to see more babies. No, no, the baby happens at the end. We'll get there at the end. We're actually telling a story about Pregnancy. And then we're headed towards the baby at the end. It's kind of how this was. We're going to talk about horror experiences in general, and then we'll get into the really intense stuff but that's at the end.
2: But that doesn't work because it's not a real experience at the end.
0: Well, I know. I
2: wanted that's to see... That's the
0: swerve that I happens.
2: wanted to see the real scary ones that I won't go to.
0: And that's what kind of worked with this is because it's partially actually a documentary. Part of it. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Especially in this version, the actual, you know, theatrical version, I guess, there's a lot less of the real experiences. But in the first one, though, they, they film a lot of, like, you know, real horror experiences.
2: But they're all everyday, typical ones yeah. that you and I have gone to. Anyway, do I think people should see it? Yeah. I think sure. I think this is a pretty harmless and effectual movie. So no, I 100% sure.
0: think you should see it. Put it on. <laughs> if you don't like found footage movies, I think that this works in a way that older found footage movies sort of stopped working. You know, it, it got into the point where we're at Cloverfield, you know, and it's like, okay. Really, why do you have the camera on? You're running away from alien monsters. Why do you still have the camera on? <laughs> What's going on here? And, but this is, no, they're documentarian, so it was it made a little bit more sense why they were filming the whole time, you know, why it was edited the way that it was edited. Yeah, I mean, I I think you should watch it.
3: I agree. I, I think at least once. Watch yes. it once. Watch it once. Don't watch it a second. Don't
0: watch time. it again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you can take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about 2014's The Houses October Built.
1: Tell me about yourself and what are we doing? You want my name? My name is Zach. You've known me for 20 years, Mikey. I've rented an RV. I want to find the most extreme haunted house in the world. What is an extreme haunt? I don't understand how far, like how far they you really can go on without hurting somebody. What's going on? Do you care if we ask you some questions? I'm with all this group of people and we're trying to find something extreme. Hey, we got it. It's in Louisiana this year. We don't have an address though. (laughs) This is where they said to go. Is
3: that the girl from The Haunt?
1: Look what we have here. It's an invitation. This is not a haunt. We're in the middle of nowhere in our RV. Yeah, I know. That's so what we've been wanting. One more day. It's all Halloween. We go home tomorrow.
4: Hey, wait up! Wait up!
0: What's that? Shh. Somebody's on the roof. What's just stay back. All right, Kelsey, can you get us started? How does the Houses October Built begin?
2: Well, we start with a quote. Yeah. From Walter John Williams about what humans do to other human beings, but I did not write that quote down. I did. Okay.
0: I'm not afraid of werewolves or vampires or haunted houses. I'm afraid of what real human beings do to other real human beings. And I think that's what makes this so terrifying, Because a lot of the behavior that's supposed to be scary is scary because it's either the behavior of somebody who's actually insane or the behavior of somebody who wants you to think they're insane or wants you to be intimidated. Like somebody that might be in a scare house, in a haunted house, you know, that just come up to you and just stare or whatever. And you're like, okay, that's really lame because I know you work at Burger King during the day. Like you don't intimidate me. But if they were really a person that was going to hurt you, that'd be the same way they would act. So it's it's this sort of... That's kind of what fostered anxiety in me.
2: Well, everybody, I have a surprise for you. Uh-huh. Jesse is a veteran scare person.
3: I am. I spent one year,
2: <laughs> one
3: year as a monster at Knott's Scary Farm. Yeah. And... I do have the story of getting punched in the face. Oh, you have
0: one of those stories?
3: I punched in the face during Power 102 Punch a Monster Night. Big black man punched me in the face, went down like a sack of potatoes, instantly got up, and got him thrown out of the park. I'm wait, sorry, what? Wait, yeah. were they were supposed to yes, do that? yes, yes. Power 102, guys.
0: Power 102? What is Power 102? You mean power is
3: 106? Really? Power 106. <laughs> <laughs>
2: power 106. Wait, they told people to yes. go and punch yes. the scarers? Yes. Why?
3: That's I don't insanity. know. That's
0: insanity.
2: Oh, my God. Yeah,
3: yes. That is
0: insanity.
3: Yes. And when the guy found out I was a woman- 'Cause I looked like a dude. I had a mask like the Quiet Riot mask from the eighties on and my hair was all over the place. About, yeah. Anyway, when he found out I was a woman, his eyes almost bugged out of his head because he hit a woman in the face. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my I am Jesus. i take a punch like a man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my God. Did
2: anything like did you anything break? No, or- oh no. No, I,
3: I, I oh, she
0: a took punch a punch like a man,
2: like a man. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god.
3: Instantly got up, got the guy thrown out. It was the beginning of the night, so I had an entire shift. No after that. Yes. They didn't
0: send you home? No. no. Oh. Oh my god. Jesus.
3: Yep. So little you know, guys, those haunted houses really are scary.
2: <laughs> For the scarers. <laughs> yes, uh-huh. Now, Jesse. What made you want to be a scarer? you know, it's like they always say,
3: like that excitement of seeing someone get freaked out. Like it's it's a high in itself because you know you're you, you have a certain control over that person and you're controlling their emotions and seeing them freak out like that gives you a little little
0: jolt of energy. Uh-huh. And oh, it's why? like it's the context makes it safe and expected, right? Right. Like,
2: but did you ever look around the people you worked with and be like, hmm. <laughs> like, maybe they're really a crazy
4: person.
2: <laughs> oh,
3: I, I don't think Knots does background check. They said in the movie that they mm-hmm. didn't do back. I know. I didn't have a background check. <laughs> yeah, I could have I, shown up guns blazing to this thing and people wouldn't know the wiser. They didn't do a background check.
0: That's wow. so funny. Wow. And, this and they're just, a big organization. this is a yeah. theme park. Uh-huh. Yes.
3: But I found that interesting. I actually did write that down, that they didn't do background checks. Neither does
0: huh. <laughs> Maybe they do now. I don't know. At that level, I can't imagine.
2: Well, I, I- love I love that part because the guy that they're talking to, they're, they're
0: – ta- Maybe ta- I should start doing this.
2: <laughs> they, well, they're talking about how like, oh, yeah, well, you know, in a town over here, a guy raped a girl inside a house, you know, and like – or they do this or they do that. And he's like – Oh um yeah we're we're looking into doing that next year. Yeah, uh-huh. we
0: don't do it currently but we we're make looking nudge into nudge it. Say no more. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
2: do you do like a background
3: check on people just cuz You I'm- know,
1: uh, currently we we do not do a background check, but we're looking
0: into doing that in the future. That's kind of the makeup of a lot of this movie is them going around to These haunted houses across America and interviewing the people that run them, the people that work in them, the people that attend them. But it starts with a lot of the footage that took them a while to get to in the first version where they're talking about how people got hired and they're murderers. I, I literally wrote, wow, they get right to the hiring murderers and including human remains and a real death. Right away in this version, oh, you mean the the little?
2: Well, they do a very quick montage where they talk about a footage
0: from the original movie that happened maybe two thirds of the way through the original one. It's like the first bit; it's the very beginning of the film.
2: Yeah, there they show you a little girl screaming, "Oh fuck!" when she's scared inside one of the houses. (laughs) Yes. They talk about, yeah, like, oh, they, they might hire actual murderers, a person laughs at that idea, and then they show you, like, actual incidents, injuries, crimes are taking place.
0: A guy kills himself, and he stays there, strung up for however long, the entire night or something the like that, and nobody even knew it happened. Mm-hmm.
2: And then we get a shot of our main girl, who we don't know yet, being put into a trunk of a car. Yep. And then it says 6 days earlier. Yeah. Do you like it when movies show you what's going to happen to them at the end of the movie? I'm not a fan of it.
0: Especially not in this case, I don't
2: think. No,
3: I didn't feel it was necessary. I mean, let us let us figure it out. Let us peel back the onion a little bit on our own rather than spoon feeding us the ending
0: I feel like they didn't trust us to stay interested through the whole movie and they're like trust us something exciting is going to happen at the end it's going to seem like a boring documentary but there will be kidnapping at the end at least so it's like it's almost their promise to the audience to not get them to walk out when they get bored and that's, that's a lack of confidence it's a
2: lot of la- it's a big lack of confidence Yeah, yeah I don't approve In Tyler, Texas, we meet our main characters, Brandy, Jeffrey, and Bobby. There's probably somebody
0: else. And Mikey and Zach. Okay. Or Jeff. Wait, hold on. Let me pull up the actual cast listing. Yes, so it's Brandy, Zach, Bobby, Mikey, and Jeff. It's all five of them. That's their names, and that's the actors' names.
2: (laughs) So, we find out what they're planning to do. They're looking for the scariest house, but... The lead guy, which I don't know which one that is, or no, the lead guy's brother, the fat guy. Mikey. Mikey. Mikey tells him that he doesn't think it's going to be scary if they can find it on the web, on the internet. But they're going to look for
0: it anyway. Well, let's let's talk about the cast a little bit so we can establish who everyone is. We have Zach, who's the producer. He's the one who's organizing their locations and tries to get them the scariest stuff he can possibly get. He's that kind of mousy guy. There's Bobby, who's the director. He's the one whose big idea this is, along with Zach. And he's like the the leader of the group, very much more so in the first version than in this one. His brother, Mikey, he's the editor. He is editing as they go. And he's along with them because of that. They have very little turnaround time on editing if they want to hope to get it out this season. You know, so it's October It needs to be in order for them to go to these places, but it also needs to come out in October. So he has, like, no time to edit. So that's why he's going along with him. He's the big guy with the beard. Uh, Then there's Jeff, who is their driver and cameraman. He's kind of the Boy Scout country guy. And Brandy. And she's their face. She's the beautiful woman in front of the camera doing the interviews and stuff like that. And she's the one that they push forward into all these scare experiences to get her to scream at every single scare. (laughs) That's Kelsey.
2: (laughs) Oh, no, I just put Chris in front of me. I just hide behind Chris. (laughs) Kelsey
0: loves to go to these things, but she is always terrified of them. 100% of the time, every single scare works on her.
2: That's not true. Every
0: time. But we love doing it. We go to them all the time. Yeah.
2: And yet we've never been on one
3: with Jesse. Maybe this year. Maybe this is the year, guys. Are
0: you a big... Haunted House fan.
3: Oh yeah. Uh huh. I go to Universal pretty much every year.
0: Yeah, we went to Universal this year. This past year, rather. That was a lot of fun. The Us one was really good.
2: It's just hard to go because you only want to go on a weeknight. Yeah. And the only reason we got to go on a weeknight was because we were taking that Friday off. So we went on the Thursday night before. Well,
0: and our roommate got us tickets.
2: Cheap tickets. Yeah. Yeah,
3: it was a
0: whole thing. There were influencers there, and it took us like two and a half hours to get into the Stranger Things maze, and it, it Which was the worst great. maze. Yeah. So- Did you go this
3: year? I didn't get to go this year. Oh, okay. You usually go every year, didn't get there this year.
0: But uh, the S1 was really impressive. The Ghostbusters one was a lot of fun. There are some good ones this year. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so now that we've been introduced to everybody, they're all getting on the RV. They're traveling across the country in an RV.
2: Yes. They're drinking. They're having a good time. But at one point, they're talking to somebody, and I I like this because this is a real story. Uh, We know this is real because we saw it in the original documentary, and then they put it into this one as well, where they're interviewing a guy who runs one of the houses, and and she asks him, what's the scariest thing that you've ever seen? If you put on haunted houses, nothing can scare you, right? And he said, well, the scariest thing I've ever seen was they... Employed a paraplegic to oh, yeah. to scurry around on his arms with, with like, entrails, entrails dragging attached to him. the back of his legs. Uh-huh. He's like, that is probably the scariest thing I've ever seen. Well, so, there's something he,
0: uncanny about the idea, the suggestion that somebody's you know limbs were.
2: I just love that people who scare people for a living can get scared. Yeah, that's why when you told me you were going to be a scare, I was like, but you, but but you're afraid of things. <laughs> Aren't we all, (laughs) Celts? We are
3: only human. That's true. Is there anything that's even scared you? I remember a
1: haunt I went to probably three or four years ago. There was a guy on the floor, and he was munching his teeth at me. And I looked at him, and he had entrails behind him. So he was a paraplegic they hired. He was real fast on his hands, and I thought that was the most scariest thing I've
0: ever seen. So because this is a documentary-style film, it benefits from them just... I mean, it's interesting because it's a documentary is supposed to be a document of reality, right? And it, more than any other movie, benefits heavily from ending scenes just by cutting away, uh, no matter what's happening. And, like, movies that are heavily edited and not supposed to be like their real life still aren't as jarring. And the reason I say that is because they get kicked out of the first place they go to because Mikey climbs up on the roof and he... Grabs like a bullhorn or something and yells something at the crowd.
4: I'm a Halloween God! Yeah!
0: And then he gets assaulted by one of the workers in a clown mask. This is a clown we saw earlier who was like bobbing his head along to the music, just kind of you saw him on the other side of a crowd. Now that when they try to leave, that same clown stands in front of their RV as they try to exit.
2: Well, there's a couple of things that happen at this first house. They also see the girl in the mask who we see later.
0: Porcelain I think her name is.
2: And she's like saying like, "Come and play with me." It was just creepy whatever. normal
0: stuff. Little kid wearing a porcelain doll mask and holding a doll.
2: I and think. she will come up later. But yes. so they're seeing these people from the get-go, from the very first yes. house.
0: This continuity is not in the original, which I think is why It lasted longer in my mind as something that was plausibly real. In this one, not as much. I wrote down everyone seems more chill in this version. The main guy, Bobby, isn't angry all the time, at least not yet. The producer, Zach, isn't super uptight. He even enjoys it when the big guy, Mike, gets him residually high, which doesn't happen in the the first one the driver Jeff raps now in this version so just everyone seems more chill than they were in the first one well
2: cuz then now they have to give a character to yeah, each person uh-huh. so they have to show more of their personalities whereas which is interesting cuz in the actual documentary we didn't get a lot of that
0: yeah but i anyway the point is is that the clowns really don't like it when they overstep their bounds and they try to intimidate you as as we're headed out of the location
2: yeah, and like they're following the 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 clowns, like follow them, don't they?
3: Yeah, I mean they drive like a hundred miles and these same
2: people. Oh no, I meant like up. right here when they're just starting to drive the away. First I think they follow one. Him. I
0: think it happens at another location. I don't know about this first. They might. I I don't remember too clearly. Again, we watched this like two weeks ago. So,
2: and Jesse was better than us. She rewatched it. I watched it on Thursday.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: So I've got lots and lots of notes here. Some funny lines. At one point, they scare the overweight brother, and he says, I'm too overweight for this. Uh And, um...
1: (laughs) you fucking kidding me? You
0: asshole. You literally shit You Come on, man. Oh, my God. I wish the camera could have seen your face. I'm too overweight for this. I'm gonna have a heart attack.
2: We find out that the girl, Brandy, is afraid of snakes, which does not come into play. Although, we do find out that Brandy... Snakes?
0: Yes. When she's buried alive later, she's buried in a casket that has snakes in it.
3: I thought those were animal body parts.
0: I don't remember. Uh, that. I remember there being snakes. I don't
1: remember that. It's either. only
0: in one shot, but I remember there being snakes. Because for a while, when you're like really close on her, you can't tell that that's the case. But then there's one shot where we can kind of see the length of it, and that there are snakes in there.
2: Well, I do. But Maybe
0: you're right. Maybe it's just I thought animal it was body parts, organs.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, I do know. Also, though, that she does say, I'm really claustrophobic.
0: Yes. So am I. Which is why I don't do a lot of those, any of those sort of extreme scare things. Because I know that's part of it, right? No.
2: Sometimes. I don't know. I've never been to one.
0: Oh, quick check. Would anybody get into a casket and let them close the door?
2: No.
3: Will you be buried? No. I I would do it.
0: Well, you don't know. You have no control over it once you're in the casket.
2: So... These places, the ones that they talk about but they don't actually go to, they really do exist. And they will. They'll put you in, like he said, into a coffin. They'll close you in there. They'll tie you up. They'll gag you. They'll put handcuffs on you. All this crazy fucking shit. They'll leave you alone. You don't know for how long they're going to leave you. All that stuff. The problem is, and I know, if I was going to go to those, I'd tell you. I'd tell my parents. I'd tell you where I'm going to be. So, like, there's no I doubt that they're murdering people, but like they could. Yeah. They fucking could. You put your life in their hands. Th-
0: that is exactly what I wrote down is why this can be so scary, is because you're trusting a stranger with your life and that is inherently terrifying.
2: Would you do that?
3: I mean when you put it that way, no. I mean, just to go into a coffin for a few seconds with the lid shut, yeah. I mean, but I mean, to, to not know if they're going to put weights on top of it, right. Or See, bury me? Because you never know.
0: That yeah. and that's my thing too, because I I'm super claustrophobic and I I can't be like bound up or anything like that. I start to panic and my body moves completely independent, and that extends into tickling as well. I, I do not let Kelsey tickle me, and it sounds like a weird control thing, but. It's because I start like flailing wildly when I get tickled, and I really don't want to accidentally hurt her. Like I would totally straight up punch somebody in the face if they tickled me, and it would be out of my control. That's how I feel when I get claustrophobic, and it is absolutely terrifying. Are
3: you claustrophobic?
2: I'm not claustrophobic. Oh, God, I am. I am, so but I can usually control it. No, I can't. I can just remind myself, you're going to be fine. Just wait a few minutes and you're going to get out of the situation. You're going to be perfectly fine.
3: I'm more afraid of when I can't get to an exit. Like, if there's a ton of, ton of, ton of, ton of, ton of people and I'm as far away from the exit as possible, that's when I start getting scared. Yeah. But if I'm in a small, confined space, I can handle it.
4: hmm
0: Yeah, see, like, I don't know. Not being close to an exit doesn't bother me. But if it started getting cramped and I couldn't move and I was scared that I was no longer in control of my immediate surroundings... That's what terrifies me. It's mm. weird. Little insight into Chris and what scares him.
2: They start to notice a white van everywhere they're going mm-hmm. is starting to follow them. So now they're pulling over to stop, and one of them is a rapper.
0: That's that's Jeff. That's what I'm saying. The driver
2: Jeff does a rap here. Does a rap. <laughs> It's, Did you write anything about the rap? I didn't write anything about the
3: rap. He's
0: also a poet. He writes poetry that he is totally unashamed of, but they're all mocking him for it. He's just a sweet guy.
1: So this is the rap I wrote this morning. Living in the barn is the life for me. Greenhill Farm is the place to be. If you pee on a fence and you hate your wiener, don't be looking at my turkey because he ain't for dinner. 4 a.m. and the cows get out. No dessert till you crush that sauerkraut. Got a barn full of hay, a fire with some s'mores. Mom yelling, chickens, chores. Ain't no arcade till that shit gets shoveled. What you looking at, fool? This is life in a bubble.
2: But so that's when this random person comes out of the woods, out of nowhere. And he's and, kind of half painted. Y'all enjoy my fire? And they're like, whoa. And they're like, what, what were you doing in the woods? And he goes, I
0: live here. And they were like, uh. So he's kind of like the equivalent of a migrant farm worker, you know, where he doesn't, he kind of goes where the work is. And because the, he finds work at these haunted places, he just sets up camp in the woods in between days and so he was done with his day just like they were and he went back to his fire and there was a bunch of people there but as far as they knew it was just a campground it wasn't anything that was being occupied and so they end up like sort of diffusing that immediate situation and hanging out around this fire with this guy and at one point Bobby or someone says something about oh that's what it's like is that what it's like here in in the backwoods and he's like what you mean backwoods (laughs) And it's like, it gets really uncomfortable and kind of terrifying that he might do something.
1: So, what the hell are you doing out in the woods? I live out there. Which haunt do you work at? The one down the road? Yeah. Yeah, we're going there next, I think.
0: Yeah. We see a bunch of kids in a lot of these haunts because no one's calling social services on them. They're like eight, nine years old. You know, it's like hearing like, backwoods shit. There's no rules. There's none of that stuff.
2: What you mean, backwoods?
0: But they cut away. You know, this is what I'm talking about when I say that documentaries are like that, especially these fake documentaries where they just have a situation and then they can just cut away from it and not have to deal with. Nobody's like, well, okay, I'm going to bed. You know, all right, well, see you in the morning. Like, you don't get any of that. They cut that out. And it's kind of an easy out as far as getting out of the drama is concerned. But this is when they do the zombie paintball. Zombie it is paintball, so fucking cool! It is a fantastic idea, and we I would he, love to do this.
2: We've basically done it. We just did it with laser tag that's, instead. That's the maze I was in. It was a laser tag. maze. Oh, we've been through that yeah. one. Yeah, you were a zombie. I was a zombie, and he but and he punched you. Punched me in. But the he's face. supposed to be shooting
3: you. You didn't. You didn't have to buy
2: a gun.
0: Oh, oh, oh see, this a is a, this is a different one that's not the same one we went to, yeah, there was one at at oh, scary farm no he,
2: she was at scary farm yeah,
3: yeah, she but how scary long
0: farm. ago
2: oh God, high school
0: and yeah this is ago? what I'm this is what I'm talking about when I think was high
3: school I, or were it, you in college a, I think I was early college oh, okay
0: yeah, but anyway, I'm talking like no, they put you in the back of a truck and they're driving you around, and you have zombies literally screaming and running towards you full speed. And then they drop when they get hit. And so their masks are actually these giant sort of oversized helmets. So they have these big padded headgear things. So you can't hurt them in their head and they wear all this loose, loose clothing. And if you go to paintball nowadays, they've like perfected paintball to where you can get hit repeatedly. And there are certain things where it might hurt. I got hit in the neck last time I went paintballing for my bachelor weekend and that that actually really did hurt, but it was like it was like a sting, like somebody flicked me really hard in the neck or something like that. That's all it really feels like anymore. So, man, that would be great. These sort of water based paintballs, I want to do this. <laughs> this is, it doesn't bring it out in either of you guys.
3: Oh heck yeah, I would do it in a heartbeat.
0: No, not you, Kelsey.
3: We
2: did it. Why are you acting like we didn't? We did the laser tag. Zombie why maze.
0: Are, why are you insistent that that's the equivalent?
2: It's practically the same no, thing. No, I'm talking
0: I'm talking shooting physical missiles at people and it hits them and they go down. I don't just mean squeezing a trigger and something lights up on their chest. I mean impact.
2: Chris wants to shoot people apparently.
0: With paintballs? <laughs> In a safe environment. Yes.
2: Anyway, they have a great time there. They walk out, and who's back? Porcelain. Yep. Mm -hmm.
0: As they go to exit, they pass her and they stop, and Mike goes outside to confront her, and the camera doesn't join him, so we don't know what happens, and when he comes back in, she just follows him back into the RV, and they're like, okay, this is a real human being who just wants to fuck with us. It's a fun sort of thing, and that's what a lot of this is about, right? It's like this sort of unwritten, unspoken social contract that you have with these people where it's like, we'll entertain you trying to scare us and you try to scare us. And we all just have a good time. But this is a little bit more intense. She giggles, she babbles, she screams. (coughs) And then she just leaves and they're all like, what the fuck was that?
1: <laughs> what the fuck Turn was off. that? Getting the fuck what out of the here. Dude, they're just fucking with us. Let's go.
3: You know, I... I just thought there would be more with this character. I thought there would be more. I thought there was something messed up would happen with this character and it just kind of never went there. She was involved with this whole blue skeleton thing that we get into, but it never really goes into how she's tied into it. Is she the one tracking them?
0: I feel like what they're doing, what the implication is, and it's a little bit hard to believe, is that blue skeleton sends people out to these scare locations to kind of round up people. You know, like, that's how they get the information out there. They find people to... Get involved in this experience, but that seems just completely impossible. A whole lot of work to go out right. and
2: find people to murder. Exactly. <laughs> I feel exactly. like there's easier ways of doing it.
0: <laughs> Next thing I have is Zach goes to piss in the woods and gets chased by a bunny rabbit.
2: <laughs> Basically, yeah,
3: yeah. That's well. I wrote down why is he filming why he's pee. Yes.
0: Yeah, so Zach goes into the woods That's and he, what Chris and was he, saying earlier. Why to do pee? these people
2: randomly? Film these yes. weird things.
0: And he ends up, while he's peeing, he sees this murderous bunny rabbit with blood all over it. And he runs away. And he's like, oh, ha ha. You know, he's it's almost like he's like, okay, I get it. But the guy runs after him. And his immediate instinct is to run away. And he's absolutely terrified. He thinks he's going to die. He falls. The rabbit catches up to him and just kind of like... Does a dance and makes some noises and then laughs and walks away. And the guy's like, oh, fuck you. (laughs)
4: Like,
0: he's kind of pissed about
4: that.
0: (laughs) It's this haunt that they're at that has one of the most fucked up things that you can put in a haunt without making somebody scared that they might get hurt. And that is they have people in the haunt that act like they need to be rescued. You know, like... Lights will come on and and a normal ass person's like, oh God, help me. And they get grabbed and they get pulled in and they scream. Uh, And it's, it starts to feel a little bit too real. And our characters start getting really weirded out. And then there's crying kids in a cage.
2: Yeah. It got weird.
0: And there's a baby. And honestly, I think that's where you go next with scares in an environment where you can't touch anyone. You get people wondering, Instead of fearing for themselves, seeing somebody else in this sort of like analog danger and you thinking about that, like, are you in that danger just by being here? You know, could that be you and you just haven't gotten chosen yet? Like, I think that's really where scares go next. Make it a little bit more psychological. I thought it was very effective.
2: If I were to walk through a house that had that kind of shit. I'd be like, uh, this maybe is we also should contact the authorities. <laughs>
0: this is also the one that they said looks like a high school kid made it, and they were kind of talking down on it when they first got there, and then it ended up being like the most intense so far, mm-hmm. which I thought was. Did another person interesting. die
3: from hanging in this one? I as don't know if well? it was
0: this one. It might have there been there where they talk about
3: cases it. Cases, yeah, because I wrote down there were two cases of hangings in haunted houses.
0: Yeah, I think one of them was a suicide and the other one was a murder or something. A like mistake. That. Oh, a mistake. She tried That's to
2: it. scare them and she got strangled because she uh, she was suspended she was being suspended and the thing got somehow got wrapped around her neck mm-hmm. and people didn't know yeah. she wasn't supposed to be dead. Yeah. So there's a letter hanging there all around. Uh-huh. It's fucking terrifying. But it's also really terrifying. I mean, and this is a thing that a lot of horror movies will do is when you're in a setting and it's supposed to be scary and everybody's screaming, it is the perfect time to commit a murder. And yeah. it's pretty shocking that we don't get more of that. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Especially since there's not a lot of account- of accountability. There probably is more now What with cameras that can see in the dark and stuff like that. They probably have cameras all over those places. But some of these low-rent ones... That are just set up at some abandoned Backwards. house in the middle of the woods. Yeah, Uh-huh. probably don't have all that shit. So that makes it even more scary. But we also get these moments where they're in in rooms and they're not sure if they're going where they're supposed to be going. And they say that a lot. And then they like run into an actor and they're like, I don't think we're supposed to be here. It's like there's an obvious actor here. This is where you're supposed to go. They're obviously just trying to scare you. A little unbelievable for that stuff. It's the end of this one that they call out Brandy by name.
2: Yes, this is where they say, Brandy, you're going to die. Brandy, it's time to play. And she's like, what the fuck? How do they know my name? Brandy. You're going to
1: die. Get the fuck away.
0: Little weird that they knew my name. So I probably told them to say oh, it. Freak you out.
2: And this is where it really starts to not make any sense. Because are these people everywhere? Do they control everyone? How yeah. are they able to be in every place where they're going? And they're like working inside the house.
3: That's something I wrote down, is
2: how did the scarers hunt them
3: down after they drove 100 miles here, yeah. 50 miles here, 75 miles here? I mean, how do they hold a job and still hunt people down?
0: Right. Benefactors. Rich benefactors. They steal <laughs> from the people. It's all
2: they- uh, from, it's like hostile rich people just paying them to do this so they can push. Yeah,
0: <laughs> they have a conversation somewhere around here about how would you be scared if if you saw a real leg? And Mike makes a very good point that if I saw a real leg in a haunted house, I wouldn't know it was real, so it wouldn't make a difference. We're,
1: we're gonna find these places that I don't know what goes on, if they use real body well, parts what or real whatever. Body, real body parts, that doesn't scare me though. Like, one, I'm not gonna know if the difference. difference. If a real human leg
0: is... I, it, but I won't know if it's a real human uh, leg or if it's a fake human uh, leg, so it's uh, not, that doesn't uh, bother me because I, I don't know the truth anyway.
2: And they do talk about that. That was another rumor that they talked about, I think, in maybe the first sequence of people have said that they take real body parts and put them around. But uh-huh. it's like, how would anyone know?
0: Yeah. So why even bother at that point? My next note is Haunted Strip Club.
2: Yes. Yes, I
3: have that too. Halloween-themed strip club. Mm-hmm. Why was he talking to a middle-aged woman in the front of the building? Never went into that conversation. She's, it
0: was almost like she was a madam. I think place. they were making
2: sure they could film inside.
0: Which, if you wanted to know if this was real or not, and you hadn't figured it out by now, this is how you know it's not because they just walked into the middle of a strip club with cameras and filmed the performers on stage without their consent beforehand. That is absolutely not going to happen in real life.
3: They didn't masks on.
0: Not, all not of them good did. enough. Not all of yeah, them. not all of them did. But yeah, it was a sort of. Halloween strip club where the strippers had their boobs out, but masks on, you know, like scary masks on. It was this weird sort of thing. I have a, I have a very weird boner right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrified, but also horny.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they say like, well, it's a movie. We've got to have boobs. And Brandy's not happy. She does not enjoy herself there.
0: Oh, yeah. She makes a turn at this point. And I mean... I could understand that. Well, I'm excited of the idea of a haunted strip club, I think that's hilarious. I could totally understand why somebody would be uncomfortable and kind of pissed that they were put in that position.
2: It must be around here somewhere. I think we get, like, clips, spliced clips of things in between the film, right? In between yeah. the linear story. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Because at one point we get a clip somewhere around here. And this is a real clip. So this is something that they really did see happen they filmed it for the original documentary and when i saw it then i was like what the fuck because when i saw it in the original movie i was like oh it's just it's an actor it's it's part of the movie and then i find out that it really fucking happened so this guy dressed up as a scary clown chases a young boy probably like 12 Uh into a porta potty and like keeps shaking the porter pie. The poor kid's in there screaming and crying. Now, now here's the thing. Most twelve year old boys suck, okay? Most of them are assholes. <laughs> so he probably was asking for it. But the fact of the matter is, it takes a special kind oh, of he was, like, dick
0: crying to go
2: after a kid.
0: And then but then eventually he came out and they weren't doing anything to him. They were just like, hey, you know, like Well,
2: the dad was out there, yeah. so they finally let him go. Now, Jesse, did you ever run after children?
3: Never. <laughs> Never. You, you, want, you want to get the best of them, but you know that it's not going to end well with the parents. So you just <laughs> leave them
2: alone.
0: <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> so it's this next place that they get info for the first time from Blue Skeleton.
2: Yes, they finally get the Blue phone skeleton. number. This
0: is also when Mikey is flirting with the scare actor in the RV.
2: The contortionist. Yes,
0: uh-huh. But it's here that they get harassed by a clown who accuses Mikey of recording in the haunt and with the girl in the RV who is like his sister or something like that. Some, some some sort of relationship, and he's pissed that how dare you record without her knowledge or or whatever, and he's gonna, like, fuck them up or something, or at least he threatens to.
2: No, what it is is... Somebody says to him, "Maybe you shouldn't have fucked his sister." And he says, "Oh, please, he didn't know I filmed it."
1: What are you doing? I knew you were filming in there. Give me dude, the tapes. I didn't. I didn't relax. Relax. Dude, I went through one dude, time and no. Dude, do I look like a dude? I look like a clown, son. You're you told me. us to put the camera. You up. everything time outside. No, you were recording. Dude, we're we didn't record. record. Do you remember yesterday? I wasn't born there. I'm fucking back up and stop. Relax. You want me to fuck and back up? Is so yeah. well, you about got to see legal in son. You said I already see some sodomy, son, because I'm about to fuck you with I, her. Hey, oh. hey, dude, you do not want You do not what? want to get him pissed off. I want to get Guys. him pissed no, off? What you, you pissed doing? off no, and gay. fuck her. What? That's ridiculous. Back you need the fuck to, up, get out of here. Randy, go inside. You now. Heard me. Back up. You hurt me, I will send my piece. Get on before I hurt you.
0: No, that's the second time one of these guys have gotten in my face. I swear to God, dude, I'm going to knock one of these guys the fuck Maybe you should make a sex tape with his sister. Oh, come on, man, he didn't know I was filming her. Gross. Right, but that's the thing. The guy was talking about how they were filming, so it was like partially you were filming inside the haunt, or you know, you were filming the sister. Anyway, yeah, no, it's totally gross. It doesn't endear you to the characters. It's kind of fucked, but that night. We see footage, not from our camera crew, but from the Blue Skeleton guys. We haven't really said what Blue Skeleton is yet. These are the extreme, unadvertised scare actors. These are the ones that put on the scariest thing you could possibly experience.
2: Remember how earlier they were talking about the fact at the very, very, very beginning of the film, it's not going to be that scary if you can find it on the internet. Yeah. That's why they want this one place blue skeleton because it's something that you, it's completely off the grid. Yeah.
0: So Zach is spending a lot of time trying to like interview people and ask them, have you heard about this thing? It's like, like blue skull or, you know, and he sees what people know and then tries to get information out of them. And this is the first time he gets that information. But it's also the first night that blue skeleton shows up and records them all while they're sleeping.
2: Now let's talk about how you hear... About something that no one escapes from. How's that work? Good night, everybody. And on that
3: note.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a very good point. Because, I mean, you were supposed to have heard about it because people have gone through this experience. And they say it was the most scary thing. It was the scariest thing that they'd ever experienced. And then they share that word of mouth. But it's on the down low. I can believe that. But what we learn is that the reality is, is that this stuff really is illegal and that there is danger involved and that ultimately at the end of this movie, they never come back. Then we find out that they make a sequel and we find out that they did come back, but we don't know that in this first movie. It ends with them not coming back. So how is it that the word of mouth actually travels? Is it that everyone who talks about it is actually involved?
2: Is it a gigantic conspiracy? It would have conspiracy? to be a
0: huge conspiracy. It, it'd have to be way too huge. Way too huge to be
2: How could you keep it
3: functional? so far on the download? low Yeah, that yeah wide it couldn't spread. be functional
0: if it was that widespread. You know,
3: one thing I did write down, and this kind of goes into my weird note taking, but their source of invitation is through an uncarved pumpkin.
0: Oh, yeah. And how do they get how the invite inside they get the pumpkin? The
3: invite inside the pumpkin. Uh-huh. I mean that's another like w- like conundrum in this movie. <laughs> and I remember watching the movie with my lovely husband, Algus, and asking the same thing. And he told me I look too far into these plot things.
4: <laughs> <laughs> However, no, I you.
3: it's it's the same as the conspiracy with everyone. How do they know to follow them? How do like are these people planted? Yeah. Like you know like you, you I, try to figure it out.
0: Every way that this movie sort of escalates from the original version. It makes it more interesting, maybe more compelling, but it opens it up to all sorts of these plot holes like that. Like, that pumpkin thing wasn't in the original. The stuff where they're being tracked for the entirety of their trip wasn't in the original. So they make it more theatrical and put more holes in it at the same time. So that's why I think eh, it's, kind of a, it's kind of undermined by the experience that you get in the first one. Anyway. So that night... They're filmed in their RV. We see it. It's in black and white with a slight blue tinge.
2: I call bullshit. (laughs) I would so wake up. Also, they had
0: cameras planted everywhere in the RV. Did they ever mention that they never got footage of them in their RV? They didn't talk about it. They didn't. Because they do find this footage later and know that they were recorded. Mm -hmm. Do they ever check the RV cameras? We know that they talk about the fact that they recorded sex with the contortionist. So why? I don't know. Anyway. um, So they break in. They film them in their sleep. We see them take Jeff's ID and we see Brandy sort of blink, unfortunately, when they're filming her close up. She kind of her eye kind of fidgets and not in like a rapid eye movement kind of way. It's just like ah, she blinked and they didn't cut away fast enough. But yeah, later on, Zach finds that video on a chat room where, you know, people might discuss these sort of scare houses and tells Bobby who tells him not to tell the others because they won't want to keep going if they know that it happened. You shouldn't want to keep going, but Bobby and Zach just assume that this is all part of the experience. Yes. This is what makes it extreme.
4: hmm
3: However, my question was, these people are so mad that they're recording. It's the whole reason that they're following them. Why didn't they just take the tapes and be done with it? Like, why are they antagonizing them? Like, why are they encouraging them to film more if they're so upset about being filmed?
0: I don't think that that's the point of it. I think they know that they're going to eventually kill these people so they don't care.
2: Yeah. I think think that their plan was just that they were going to murder them. But again, if that's all you're doing, how do people Mm -hmm. know you exist?
0: Well, because they have this footage. And they have that built-in explanation why it's all perfectly edited when they end up disappearing at the end. Well, because Mikey's been editing it this entire time uh-huh. on the road. And so I love that. Like that kind of built in excuse is really interesting. And then at a certain point, the blue skeleton folks take over with their cameras. And so we get the footage straight from them. But anyway.
2: But it doesn't matter that they don't tell them because what do they find in the fridge? A cow's heart.
0: Yes. This giant heart in their fridge the next morning that's which, too big to be human. Which
2: I really
3: have to applaud the blue skeleton guys <laughs> for- <laughs> it on a plate and not
2: making a mess yes uh (laughs) very good very good
0: point sitting on a plate in the fridge and everyone's freaking out um we see brandy talking to mike and it looks like she's telling him that she's just done she's not going to do this anymore she doesn't want to continue on but that's when they get an email what does the email say do you remember
2: just tells them to go to the bar, right? It tells
0: them to go to Baton Rouge and ask for giggles at the D&D bar. So they do. It's this rundown sort of backwoods bar. What's your main backwoods? They ask for giggles, and they're told giggles will come back later, so you can just wait here.
2: There's like a slow-dancing couple randomly yes, in there. it's just
0: supposed to be creepy. Yeah,
2: everybody's dressed up.
0: Um, Pretty strange. There's a clown that comes up to them that is apparently not giggles, uh, but he is in a Fucking killer mask. I yep. loved that mask. It was fantastic. Yes. I'll share scary. a picture of that one on Twitter. And like he dances up to them.
2: And he does it to this song called Halloween Spooks. Are you a K-Rock fan, Jess?
3: Before I got serious FXM, I used to be. Uh-huh.
2: Okay. <laughs> so I listen to K-Rock. I absolutely, well, it's not them anymore. But I used to love uh, Kevin and Bean in the Morning. Every Halloween, they play this song, Halloween Spooks, because one of them loves it and the other one hates it, Uh but their fans love it. So they play it all the time. So when they played it in this movie, I was like, we're not supposed to know that song, but I know it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it's cute. You know, he's he's kind of awesome. I like this guy. But- Brandy gets up and goes to go to the bathroom. The guys get taken outside because they're told Giggles is there. They forget about the fact that Brandy's in the bathroom and they forget about the fact that they left a camera on the table.
2: Well, they told him they couldn't film.
0: So they leave the camera on the table and they leave and some locals grab the camera and go into the women's room where Brandy is with the camera and sort of trap her in there. And it's super rapey and very uncomfortable and uh, after everyone gets out okay every all the guys sort of agree that okay from this point on we absolutely cannot ever let brandy out of our sight she doesn't go anywhere alone which i mean we thought she had already checked out and then this happens like
2: yeah i i don't believe that brandy wouldn't just walk away i was mad that we never even met giggles
3: yeah. So it <laughs> <laughs> like that's the big thing about
2: giggles. Who the giggles? Ask, Jesse asking the hard question. The important question.
0: <laughs> oh man! So they're back in the RV, and then someone climbs on their roof.
2: No, but wait, I asked you okay. a question. What, what? Do you believe that Brandy wouldn't have walked away at this point? Oh, right. Did she want to walk away? But why didn't she? Well, where was she going to go?
3: What, is she Call just going to to an airport? Taxi, man.
0: Yeah.
3: I'm going the fuck home.
0: <laughs> I just you're in Baton Rouge. It's not like exactly like I, you're in the middle of nowhere. I just
3: think she's too invested at this point. You put in all this time. You're with your friends. I mean, now what? You're going to take a cab 300 miles home? I mean, You might die. But she didn't know that yet. I mean, they they still were she invested. She almost got raped. Yeah, but they're in some backwoods, like.
2: What you mean backwoods?
3: You know, yokel kind of bar. I mean, she probably you know brushed it off as these guys are crazy. I'm just going to stay with my crew, and it's going to be fine. We they didn't know, and they still were invested in the fact that they were going to go to an extreme haunt, and nothing was a risk. Yeah. They found a heart in their home. Yeah. But they, <laughs> They still... Did. It was
0: a cow's heart. Yeah, it was a cow's
3: heart, Kel. <laughs> but they still... It still didn't sink into them. It still didn't make... Because
2: if if they wanted to go home, wouldn't they have just stopped the documentary? Why'd they keep going? No, the guys wanted to stay. I'm saying it, it's unbelievable to me that Brandy wouldn't have left. Because Brandy yeah, has I been agree. finding reasons to not be happy this whole movie.
0: But okay. I think you just don't fuck with Jess. And so she... She's totally down with continuing on.
2: (laughs) I would have continued
3: on at this point. (laughs) Hell, I'm still waiting for who Giggles
0: is. (laughs) So anyway, power goes out in the RV. Someone climbs on the roof. They decide to turn the RV engine on to get power running.
2: Which turns the the lights on. Which turns their
0: lights on, and they see they're absolutely surrounded by clowns.
2: Worst part of the film for me. (laughs) Worst part of the film. Kind of silly? Makes absolutely no sense now suddenly they're this huge organization and then when the lights go off and then go back on there's no one there and i just i can't
3: i would have been the person that would have been like oh shit we're running now and i would have just like fallen like you're telling me that no one like there's there's a hundred of these people no one's falling no one's getting caught everyone just dissipates just gone so what
0: so what ultimately happens Nothing. It cuts to file footage. This is what I'm talking about before. Like, we don't see how these issues resolve themselves. It just cuts away, and then they never talk about it ever again. Mm -hmm. So we get file footage about escalating scares and about how things are getting bigger and bigger in the scare community. And then all of a sudden, it's the morning where they find outside – actually, something's thrown at their door or something, and that's the pumpkin that has Carve Me labeled on it. So they cut it open.
2: I totally agree. Just and
0: inside the pumpkin,
2: it. <laughs> it has
0: instructions to go to Bourbon Street that night, which is Halloween. They left them blue metallic skeleton masks all around the RV,
2: attached to the windshield wipers.
0: Yes. So now they have these blue skeleton masks. Get it? Ha! Huh? Zach is spending all of his time now trying to convince them not to go home, but we don't hear anything from Bobby, which is a real reversal from what it was like in the original version. While they're out on Bourbon Street, on Halloween, big crowds, Brandy at some point gets taken, I guess, because it kind of happens off screen. So much
2: for keeping Brandy in our sights at all times.
0: (laughs) So does Jeff. Maybe I have written down here. Follows a skeleton in a blue hoodie down an alley. He gets surrounded by clowns that we've seen before.
2: Yeah, we see we see porcelain again. We see the rabbit again.
0: Uh-huh.
2: At one point, it looked like
0: somebody got his tongue cut out. Well, it looks like the doll stabs him, maybe, and then they put something in his mouth, and then they drag him away. I don't know. It looked and sounded it's, it's, like the
2: tongue was getting cut
3: out. That
0: may be the case. I don't
3: know if I caught a tongue getting cut out, but...
0: Something involving the mouth. Yeah. But, yeah, now things are escalating, and at the very least... It may just be, if this is all real, it may just be that Zack's getting scared, and so he actually is terrified, but nothing's really happening to him, and kidnapping him is part of this extreme haunt. But it also may be that he was just killed.
3: Could be, but- We don't know. But the film crew so sympathetically takes off without him.
0: All of a sudden, Brandy's just with the guys. So we don't see what happened there. Uh, I don't know if maybe they convinced Jeff that porcelain was Brandy with her voice or something, but the next shot we get of the guys, Brandy's just with them, and they're all together now, and they get a text from Jeff's phone that says to meet them at midnight. And they're like, okay, Jeff's been taken.
2: I guess we'll just meet him. them at
0: midnight. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh.
2: Yeah. We're not going to contact the Thories, nothing. Because this is all part of the game. We're this, all good. This we're all is safe. when
0: I wrote that it would be the ultimate swerve for this movie if it actually was all just a stage taunt. I would have fucking loved that.
2: I would have loved it too. But that's
0: just because I think of the mindset that I was in. But because it was a possibility and I was really excited for the chance that that might be the case, I was kind of on edge the whole time. As to whether or not this was real. So, anyway.
2: The first time you saw it, did you think they were going to be taken?
3: I'm trying to remember because I saw it a couple years ago for the first time. But I thought it was part of this. I mean, well, you see in the beginning the spoiler where she's thrown into the trunk and mm-hmm. whatever. So you, you kind of assume, yeah, something malicious is happening. Something not right is happening. You don't know. I, I didn't think it, it would exactly end the way it
2: did. But there was something going on. I didn't think that it was just a staged haunt. Yeah. I kept hoping that's what it was going to be. I was hoping that, like, the throw of her into the back of the trunk was, like, a making you think it was real. And then they were going to be like, surprise, you're fine. Like, I thought that was what they were going to do. But no.
0: Yep. Nope. Well, we'll get there. They go to the location and then a bus shows up. A skeleton beckons them inside the bus. And they get a text that says, 60 seconds, come outside. Or your friends will die. Then 45 seconds. You will be scared, I think they get a text at one point. Then 30 seconds, and Zach decides he's going to go. So Zach goes outside. They get a new text that says surprise. And then there's this big explosion of glass. Not like a fiery explosion, but like all the windows shatter inside. And they're all freaked out. And once everything settles down, they get another text that says don't look up. And then we find out that there have been people inside their RV this whole time that they never saw. It's an RV. Where the fuck were they supposed to be hiding? (laughs) And they get attacked from inside uh, the RV. They get hoods thrown on them and they get taken on the bus. And from here on out, or at least at this point, it switches over to the black and white, blue tinted footage of the Blue Skeleton folks recording. So they show up at a location... And they start getting taken off the bus one by one. But they don't know what's going on because they all have hoods on. First, Mike is taken off. Then Bobby. Then Zach is taken. And that leaves Brandy alone on the bus.
2: And she doesn't just drive away. That's what I would have done. (laughs)
0: Wait, no, the, other, other skeletons are on the bus. Yeah,
2: I don't I, think so. No, I think she's by herself. No, that she's point. not,
0: because then they drive her away.
2: Oh. No, yeah, but I that. think they leave her completely alone for a couple of seconds.
0: I don't think that's the case, but yeah, I'd I have to go think, back and check. there was
2: that big guy with the skeleton
0: mask, yes. and he
2: was, like,
3: sitting by her the whole time. Yeah. Plus, who was filming her then?
0: Right. Eventually, they give her a camera, but not at this point. They drive her somewhere else, or maybe just in circles, if this was just a staged haunt. They could have just been driving her in circles to freak her out that she's being taken somewhere away from these guys. Uh, And then she's told, count to 30, then remove your hood. Take the camera and record everything you see. And remember,
1: we'll be watching. Count to 30. Then remove your hood. There's going to be a video camera sitting right next to you. Pick it up. And record everything you see. And remember, we'll be
4: watching.
0: <laughs> and so she does. That's where she's left alone on the bus, I think, that you're talking about. That so she why could. doesn't
2: she drive away?
0: Maybe the keys aren't in the bus. <laughs> I don't know. But she I does. I'd leave you. <laughs> You'd but
2: leave me? I'd leave. I would send help. Thanks, Kelsey.
3: <laughs> Glad to know that if I'm in, in imminent danger, that Kelsey will send help eventually. How can I save you if I can't save myself first? I love you, but I love me more.
0: <laughs> so anyway, she follows the directions, she gets off the bus, and she goes into a looks like a Cabin and she is sobbing the whole time. I wrote down barn. It is really hard to tell what's going on at this point. What do you think it was? I, 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 I
3: thought it was a barn, too. Yeah. We start,
0: <laughs> it starts fluctuating between uh, footage people are recording, footage of people being recorded, and you kind of don't get a sense for where anybody is or anything because even though. Brandy was taken somewhere else. There's somebody inside that cabin or barn or whatever with her too. Or, but they were taken off earlier and sent to another place. So it, it gets really confusing as to the logistics and how everything is happening here. But then we go back to the guys there in the dark with glow sticks, which was the end of the original version where they sent them into doorways where they were all separated. They all went into separate doorways. And I think it was Jeff who was in a room that was just completely dark and they were given glow sticks and that's how they found each other.
4: Mm-hmm. And then
0: eventually he walked up to a glow stick thinking it was a friend and it was one of the blue skeleton folks. Um, so we get kind of that going for Which us. Which
2: we've also been through a haunted house that, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it was glow sticks. We got, we got flashlights, but they only worked some of the
0: time. They were controlled oh. remotely so depending on where you were in there, it would have a different function. So it would either turn off mm-hmm. completely or it would flicker at just the wrong moment or uh, it would work normally or it would be a black light and you can read things on the wall. It, yeah, it, that was a pretty cool one. That was it. That was not. Knots. Yeah, that was a mm-hmm. scary farm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is where I wrote. Yeah, Bobby is also in a cabin and given a camera, but we don't necessarily see that. But they're all, effectively, they're all going through some maze of some sort with cameras when Bobby sees Mike, behind a pane of glass, get attacked. hmm And then the lights go out. A chainsaw comes through the door of the room where Zach is, and where... The clown says, I'm gonna fuck your world. I'm gonna
2: fuck your world. I wrote that down. <laughs> I'm gonna fuck your world.
3: No, I thought to myself, because this is a fully furnished home. Yeah. Like, how are, are they gonna be like paying? Like, do, like are they getting their security deposit back? You're right, on, like, yeah. Chainsawing?
2: Whose who's house is this? <laughs> it's, the, it's the rich people that are watching.
0: Yeah. Bobby eventually finds Zach and tells him that they need to get out of here because it isn't a haunt. But it turns out it's just his clothes and a mask on a mannequin. He is then stabbed, maybe to death, something By happens. By somebody
2: who says, You having fun, Bobby?
0: Yes. <laughs> and then he stabs But him. we don't <laughs> see it because Bobby's filming and he's the one that gets attacked, so we don't see it. We gotta get out of here.
1: This is not a fucking hot. You having fun, Bobby?
0: We then cut back to Brandy being taken away in the trunk. So Jeff got taken away earlier. He gets attacked in the alley. We never see eventually what happens to him, or at least we don't for a while. We see up to this point, we've seen that happen. We've seen Mikey get attacked behind the glass that Bobby sees. Bobby goes to find Zach, and it turns out Zach isn't really there. So we know something happened to Zach, and then Bobby gets attacked. So Brandy's the only one left at this point, as far as we know. And she's getting taken away in the trunk of a car. She's eventually... Buried alive in a wooden coffin.
2: I wrote oh. that she was put on top of meat. I wrote, yeah, I yes, thought it was that's
0: what it is. I wrote with guts around. So yeah. you're right. Yeah. So I guess the snakes really didn't come back, which
2: pissed me off because the other one, the dude, I don't remember which dude it was, he got a comfortable one. Yeah, I was Mike. like, what
0: the yeah. fuck? Mike was put in a <laughs> fancy padded coffin, and so was Bobby. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs>
3: so yeah, I didn't know if there was a significance there, and why is she? Laying on entrails. Like, yes. they got like pillows
0: and stuff uh-huh. fucked
2: like, yeah.
0: in. It was like they were mean like, the girl. If I'm gonna
2: die in a box, I'd rather die in that one. What the fuck? <laughs> I was so mad. I was like, that was inequality. That was because she was a woman and I do not appreciate it. <laughs> preach, Kals, preach.
0: <laughs> so Brandy is freaking out. She's sobbing. We cut to Zach and he is too. So all these people aren't actually dead. Yeah. Bobby, who supposedly got stabbed to death, he's just in a plush padded coffin. So what happened there then? Yeah. It's really weird. Then we get interview footage as they're all being like buried. We get interview footage. I have here about, quote, their last visit anywhere from the first one where the guy says why he does this. And you get these stupid cliche answers from people that that try to sound intense you know, he where he's like, oh, for five hours a day, I get out of the tangled up mess that's in my head, and you know,
2: I get to put, uh, put it on other people. What's the best part about your job?
0: I'm I'm not me for five hours a day, and if I can get out of the tangled up mess that is my head and into somebody else's head, all that pent up aggression is now taken out on somebody, and you know be as vicious and mean mean as I can towards anybody to scare them. You wanna make it so that they're not gonna escape, right? I mean, that's the thing. They don't, I mean, we don't want them to escape. If I were a zombie and they came out here, my goal is to eat their brains and survive, right? And um, their goal is to not make it out or try to make it out if they can. And um, they're, they're coming out here and it's gonna be their last visit anywhere. And then we get the title card. How's this October built? And the movie's over.
3: And we have some of that progressive rock music we've been hearing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which I almost felt it would have been appropriate to end on, like, yakety sax or something. (laughs) Wait, wait. Was
0: it prog rock or was it metal? I don't remember what the song was. was,
3: It was like that, like, I don't know, non-distinguished metal.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Sure. Okay. And Yeah, but that's how the movie ends. It still worked for me in all the same ways the original one did. Because I knew it was fake this time, but for whatever reason, it still worked. Although I do think it was undermined greatly by the fact that I had seen the first one.
2: Sorry. I've never no, seen the
3: first one. No,
0: but I thought the first one was more effective at it. So this was well, more of the a first movie. One,
2: yeah, exactly. This one felt like a movie, and the first one felt like a real documentary until the very, very end They all kill them. And, and like, it comes out of nowhere. Right. It
0: might all be a fake haunt until the moment they are killed. Yeah. And that's, I, I kind of loved that. Even though I felt like I was jerked around a little bit and, like, they took advantage of me and I should be upset, I really enjoyed it.
2: I was disappointed by the ending in both movies.
3: This movie kind of leaves it wide open because you assume that they're all going to be left there to die, but then there's a
2: second part. So like, do you want me to ruin it for you? I know what happens. Go ahead. Spoiler alert. Well, the
0: beginning of part two.
2: That's what I'm talking about. Yes. Spoiler alert. Yes. As far as I know, because I haven't seen it, the cops show up. They just kind of show up. They get "Eh, rescued. They get
0: unburied and they survive. They survive
2: how the cops know where they were buried? Don't know. Haven't seen
3: it.
0: No, we haven't seen it. We'll find out, I Kinda guess, like if we the... ever watch This House is October Built too.
3: It's like the Uncarved pumpkin scenario. How yes. You... <laughs> that part really pissed me off. <laughs> well, it makes no sense. You're absolutely right. I wonder
0: if there's actually a way that you can accomplish that. I don't know. We're
3: going to have to look it up. You just like do like a slit and just
0: like... Sl- yeah, maybe a slit, you slit the... through the bottom and they didn't look at the bottom of it or something. I'm sure that's how they did it logistically for the movie, but like... How were, in real life, were these folks supposed to do it? I don't don't know. know. So, any other thoughts on the movie? Just that the ending disappointed me.
3: Yeah, the ending, I mean, knowing that they're, I guess, found and there's a second part, it kind of takes away a little bit, I guess. I mean, I thought that they were just left to die and you were just, you know, let your imagination run wild, but, you know, I could still pretend that. I haven't seen the second one yet.
2: I can still pretend that.
0: (laughs) There's one... Bit of lightning round thing I have. At one point in the movie, somebody asked the question, has a zombie ever fired a gun in the history of cinema? And Mikey responds with no. There is, before this movie was made, almost 10 years before this movie was made, a movie called Land of the Dead. And there are all sorts of zombies using all sorts of guns, but more specifically, in 85 in Day of the Dead, which we haven't gotten to in the zombie series. We've only watched... Dawn of the Dead and its remake. We haven't even watched Night of the Living Dead for the show. We've we've seen it. We just haven't watched it for the show. But anyway, yeah, Day of the Dead, which comes after Dawn of the Dead, has a zombie bub, which is kind of a smart zombie, I guess. I mean, that's the best way to describe it. That's kind of what a lot of the movie's about. Really does hold and fire a gun. So, yes, very famously there is a case where a zombie fires a gun. But This still made it into the movie. Nobody thought to Google it beforehand, but they put it in the movie. Oh, they could just say, oh, it's the characters. Yeah, exactly. The The characters could just be wrong. But what's the point? What does that feed into anything? Just kind of upsets horror trivia buffs. That's all it does. (laughs) Anyway, what do you think this movie got on Rotten Tomatoes? Again, percentage of professional reviews that came away with an overall positive view of the movie. 52 Kels?
2: I guess you're pretty you're pretty close. I'm going to say 49.
0: 60. The metacritic is 45 though, which is kind of nuts that the metacritic is is so far below. It's on the bottom half of the 50. Yeah, it's interesting that 60% came away positive but the average rating was 45. That meant those that didn't like it gave it really low scores. Mm. And those that did like it gave it just kind of eh ass scores. Mm. So Do you think it's overrated or underrated?
3: You know, I think that's an appropriate number for your first watch. Maybe a little higher. After that, like I said, it drops off. If you watch it a second time, I mean, I'd give it like maybe a 30. But for a first shot, maybe a little higher.
0: What would you give it then?
2: I'd give it maybe a 65.
0: All right. Kels?
2: I'm going to give it a 59. Let me give fifty nine. It it was way more entertaining the first time I saw it, and I am trying to keep that in mind because I do. I do want to say it is entertaining, and the first time you see it, you don't know where it's going. And Chris is right, it does get your heart pounding a couple times. but then More again, so than
0: almost any other movie we've watched.
2: But then again, I'm easily scared by this kind of stuff. When, Like we said, when we go through a haunted house, I put Chris in front of me. But I just was really disappointed by the end. And then yeah. once you've seen it, yeah, it. and then you start to think about all the things that are wrong with it. There are other movies like,
0: like Memento that get better when you watch it a second time. This is not one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Once you know the magic, it kind of ruins it. Yeah. 59. 59. I will give it a, you know, I couldn't decide if this movie made me angry or not. <laughs> and <laughs> that, like after I watched it, I mean, angry I, I, I talked what? to you about it. The fact that it just jerked you around on whether it was real or not. It I it felt like something that would make me mad, but it worked, and I have to give it props for that. So I'll give it a 67. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Because it worked. And, but yeah, again, it's a one-time use only sort of thing. You know, there is no second chances with this.
2: Oh, yeah. I I don't know if I'd watch this again. And I'll say that about Man Bites Dog, I'm never going to watch that again either. It's not fun, it's not pleasant. I
0: can't remember if I said this on the on the recording or not, but I was definitely thinking it. I would absolutely watch Man Bites Dog again. You can watch that on your own. Yeah.
2: But I thought both movies had qualities about them that were good, and I thought they were both extremely different In what I liked about them. Because Man Bites Dog, I mostly enjoyed it because it was so unique. Whereas Houses that October built, I thought it was a really interesting idea. I just thought that they kind of dropped the ball. You keep putting that that in
0: there. I know. Yes, It is Houses, the Houses October built. There is no that.
2: But no, it makes so much more to... sense with the that. No, it you just
0: feels it. better. It makes more sense. It also keeps it short because when titles get really long, it fucks up my my process because when, nobody when, cares. when folder names get really long, it fucks everything up.
2: <laughs> Jesse was going to say something.
3: Oh, no. I even crossed it out my notes. I have that crossed out.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: I was like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All
0: right. Well, that is our... Documentary episode on 1992's Man Bites Dog and 2014's The Houses October Built. (laughs) Big shout out to Harry and Anthony for recommending Man Bites Dog. And thank you very much, Jess, for bringing The Houses October Built to us. Of
2: course. Anytime, you guys.
0: (laughs) What are we watching next week?
2: Well, next week, guys, is St. Patrick's Day, and you'd best believe we're gonna keep doing our awful Saint Patrick's Day movies. It's gonna happen every year. They're
0: never good.
2: Be prepared. <laughs> so this year we're we're doing Leprechaun 2. We skipped Leprechaun last year, but we're going back this year. Uh-huh. Leprechaun two and some movie called Muck.
0: Was that recommended to us? No, no? you just the had to St. Patrick's, Patrick's Day
4: horror movie.
2: on St. Patrick's Day. No,
0: and this is the sort of thing that you come up with. Okay. Yes. Muck. Is it going to be like all the other movies that just nominally? Sort oh, of like I hope take it's
2: as bad as Red place? Clover. I hope we get another Red Clover. No,
0: Red Clover <laughs> was incredible. <laughs> Billy Zane. Lost his wife on Black Friday and
2: couldn't find and her. Couldn't
0: find couldn't her. Couldn't find her. Uh, anyway, God, that was incredible. No, I mean movies that are just in in sort of name only. They just sort of happen to take place on a day, but really nothing about them has anything to do with that holiday. Somebody at some point looks at the calendar like and sees it's, yeah, like we in get Pontypool. one
2: line that says that it's Valentine's Day, and yep. that's good enough for me. <laughs>
0: Well, until then, you can always reach us at our website, podcemetery.com, where you can get a list of every episode we've ever released, along with an alphabetical list of every movie that we've covered with beautiful poster artwork. So please go ahead and check that out. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We put a lot of extra stuff on Twitter, stuff that either we forget to talk about, corrections for things we say. So before you write to us and tell us we did something wrong, why not check out our Twitter, at podcemetery.com. Don't forget to follow us in your podcatcher of choice, rate and review. A five-star written review is obviously the best thing you can do for us there. Better than that is sharing us with your friends. And better than that is listening in the GD first place. We love each and every one of you. And especially the biggest thanks goes to Jesse for joining us on today's episode. Thank Um, you very much, Jesse.
3: Looking forward to coming back.
0: Before we go, any last words?
3: All across America to find the scariest house of all. That's Zach, everybody.
4: <laughs> nice. Halloween spooks outside my window. Halloween spooks behind the tree. I wish that the children could see, but I can't find them for the life of me. And as Halloween spooks outside my window.
1: Man Bites Dog. It's a comedy about a serial killer that goes straight for the jugular. But who ever thought it would be banned in countries like Sweden and Australia? After all, we were awarded the International Critics Prize at Cannes. I mean, even in Montreal, they thought it was a smash. And when we got to LA, they told us it was provocative and powerful. Maybe even the best film released this year.
0: Oh, fuck. IFC. What's the... Shit. What's the name of that documentary series on IFC? It's so good. Hold on, I gotta look it up. I'm sorry. (laughs) Documentary Now. That's the name of the series. You know what always comes up when you search Houses October Built? The Houses October Built 2 almost yeah. seems more popular than the first one. A
2: lot of people I of haven't our, seen it, but one of our fans was like, "Oh, you should watch the second one. I liked it a lot."
0: I have a very weird boner right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrified but also horny. <laughs> Just going to give it a second. <clears throat> I'm
3: going to click my pen during this.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm wanting to click yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ.
3: What are they doing? Donuts up in the sky? Did somebody <laughs>
0: die on the freeway or something? What
3: <laughs> it better be death? Someone better be dead. So <laughs> like every time I wait in traffic, I'm like, someone better be dead.
0: <laughs> um
2: <gasps> shit, stop.
0: You just turned it on, I guess. Okay. What was that? We got a Roomba for our wedding. But oh. we don't know how to use it. No, it's not that <laughs> we don't know how to use it. It's just that we've been so busy that I haven't calibrated it yet. It uh, doesn't know what our room looks like.
2: I just stepped so on it.
0: She just uh. kind of turned it on, and it started moving.
2: <laughs> oh. I probably just broke it. I probably just. I'll broke, take care of it. Don't broke it. worry.
0: We'll... Two hundred dollar machine. <laughs> anyway, what happens in Ponty? What is Pontypool about again?
2: We just watched it's a zombie that. outbreak as told through radio DJs. Right. Oh
0: Jesus Christ!
2: I liked it. You
0: suck way overrated. All and right.
3: that's it! We did it! We did we it! Did we got the whole
0: episode, and then we got to edit this all together. Yep. See, Which that's takes what I mean when I say It takes a, a long very long time. time. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I've been sitting here for three Whoa. and a half hours? <sighs> well...